Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. The gang, the OG gang, is back. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. If you look at the topics, you might be surprised by that third bullet point, but we'll get to it. And we're going to talk about uh, us meeting USC. I typed that in there myself. I know. It's shocking. I, I yeah. just saw that. No. Pigs are flying. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you have one minute. <laughs> Uh, it got a, it's, this uh, is counting part, as part of it. No, it has a bullet point, Ryan. It deserves more than one minute. Uh, but we're going to talk about meeting USC's new coaches. Uh, us, the media, are going to do that on Tuesday, a week before USC actually kicks off its spring camp. And speaking of spring camp, we're going to be talking about spring football, what we're expecting on March 10th and the five weeks that come after that. And like we've alluded to, USC basketball. We're going to be talking about that. Shotgun looks la, pretty la, 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 intrigued. <laughs> Shotgun, you'll be able to pick up the the baton on that one uh like always you can call us 5124 tunnel uh if you have comments questions concerns make sure you call us you can also tweet at us hashtag tunnel vision i'll put your tweet up on the screen and you all know the deal wherever you're watching youtube periscope facebook live put your comments questions and concerns we'll do our best to answer them like i said but guys where do you want to start it's kind of interesting we got word last week that USC is kind of getting ahead of themselves. They're going to sit down. We're going to have a sit down with all the coaches, the new coaches, kind of in a, a marathon style, one by one, each coach. And we're going to talk to them starting on Tuesday morning. What are you expecting for that, Ryan? Yeah, that's uh, something new, which I like. Uh, I think that's cool. That We thought that we could maybe talk to like Todd Orlando, the new defensive coordinator, at the signing day press conference, but there wasn't a signing day press conference. So we didn't get to do that. And what I think, if you look at the new athletic department, the new administration, they actually listen to what people are saying. If there's criticism that's thrown at them or some of their decisions, it doesn't just get, you know, filed away where, you know, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan, they wouldn't, they didn't care what anyone said. Uh, they, you know, they heard the fans talk about the UC Davis game, and they found a way to get out of that game. Uh, for this one, they heard the, the the media say, "Hey, they always have a press conference on Pac-12. You know, I mean, uh, on signing day. I know you only signed one guy, but there was opportunities to meet like Todd Orlando, and have I think some good press. Yeah, there was there was opportunity for good press there, and they skipped it. So I think this was I, I don't know for sure, but this is my thought. This was a result of that, and they're like, you know what? Why don't we just have the media come in all at once? And meet all the new coaches. Then you don't have to meet them for the first time at the first spring practice or whatever it is. So I like the idea. And yeah. then we also get to talk to Graham Harrell as well. So they want to put their like kind of shining star out there. The guy that you know was named for a bunch of different jobs in the offseason. But I, I like the move. Yeah, I, I thought they did this last year with Graham Harrell, making him available uh, before the, the spring started. I thought that was a good idea. Same thing here. It's kind of like a re the reverse ESPN car wash. You know, because usually there they ha you have one person, a coach or a player that goes from each show, jumps around. This is just going to have all the media in one, but it's going to be each coach coming and jumping yeah. around. So it's a, kind of the reverse car wash there. Uh, but we'll get a chance to kind of interact with them and, and, you know, hear what they have to say going into the spring. You know, the biggest thing is going to be what are they looking for in the spring for me? You know, what, what are they trying to get out of it? Spring football is not my favorite time of the year. You know, no? I, no, I'm not a spring football fan. Oh, okay. Same with fall you know, baseball or summer basketball or just like all the showcase events that they have for for high school athletes. I want, I want games. I want things that actually matter and mean something. And spring football, yes, it's good to see some battles as far as depth chart, but does it really mean anything? No. Once you get to fall camp, then it actually means something because we've seen – 
How many times have we seen some uh, spring showcase stars? Like a Dilla Baxter or a, There's or, always a spring. Jamel or Cook. Devon Flournoy. Oh, Flournoy was good. Uh, uh, who was the five-star? Markeith Ambles was that was I think he was one. Maybe. Was he good? I, I, didn't re- I don't remember. Yeah, him I remember that. Terrific. Yeah. Um, the, the wide receiver that was from uh, Modern Day that I'm blanking on that later Victor had, Blackwell. Victor or, Blackwell had yeah. I think three touchdowns in a spring game or yeah. something like that. Had a monster game. Never well, they got rid of the spring games anyway, so you don't have to worry about that. I understand, but I'm saying like that we've seen guys that have shown out in the spring, and then you have to like you have to look and see who are they going against because a lot of times that's where guys will shine is that. You're getting a chance to go against some walk-ons. You're getting some third or four-string guys because of injuries, and that's kind of the big thing you kind of look for early in the spring. Is okay, who's not really doing much? You know, may have had some minor off-season surgeries. Yeah. You know, last year there were some significant ones with the shoulders and stuff. Elijah Griffin being out and guys like that. We, we didn't really know a bunch about going into the spring, but then you know started getting the details afterwards. That'll be something interesting. But so I'm I'm curious what those coaches are looking. To get you know some of them will have full rooms you know the defense line group is you know, pretty intact you know what you're going to get out of that group but the dbs a lot of competition is still there you sure know, even though there are some some guys that are kind of a, a step above still a lot of competition in, in that group so I, i'm curious to see what those coaches are looking for and you know when we talk to tartar lando about scheme wise you know how many how many differences and stuff are going to be there as well yeah, I like that. It's just giving each coach their due. I think sometimes when you have this much turnover and try to get it all in one practice, it's just people going from scrum to scrum, and it's kind of a madhouse. This time we kind of we get them in a, a classroom setting, kind of a presser setting where they can have uh, enough time to answer questions. So to give you an idea of the schedule, we're first going to be able to talk to Todd Orlando, then Craig Niver, then Dante Williams, Vic Soto-Oto, uh, and then Graham Harrell. And then John David Baker and then Sean Snyder, the new special teams coordinator. So we're getting a full, basically, uh, we get some returners, but a full new cast that we'll be able to talk to. Any lingering questions that are on the top of your mind that you're going to ask a specific coach, guys? I, mean, I kind of want to get, the, I like the Sean Snyder stuff, uh, special teams, some of his philosophies and how that will incorporate with what USC was already doing. Um, they had much better special team schemes than what USC has had and you know, kind of get his thoughts on that if he's watched any of the tape. You know, maybe if he ever trotted out two players with the same number before on, like, a kickoff return. Sorry, Always got to get that snark uh, But that, that's a good one. I mean, like Shotgun mentioned with Todd Orlando and some of the scheme stuff. Uh, Dante Williams is obviously, you know, he was a hot commodity. Maybe talk about to him about the uh, the process of how he was hired and, you know, how difficult of a decision it was to leave Oregon. I think Georgia was after him as well. So, there, I mean, there's a bunch of questions out there for all these guys. So I'm, I'm really glad they're going to be made available and we'll all get to uh, a chance to meet them. Yeah, I want to see kind of – I want to hear from Dante Williams and, and uh, Craig Nivar, you know, the, the distribution of, you know, responsibilities there with the DBs. You know, is it going to be strictly safeties versus cornerbacks? Where does the nickelback go? Who takes care of that? You know, do they plan to have nickelback? Do you plan to have dimebacks? You know, those type of yeah. things. You know, you're going to have some of that stuff schematically occasionally versus depending on what team you're playing. But is that expected to be a regular part of the defense? Those type of things are, are kind of the, the overarching interesting things to start with. Um, interesting with the, the two numbers on the field. Now there's, you know, the, it's been um, suggested in the new rules. You know, they have to be... Uh, put through completely, but you know the the number zero is now available. Oh, okay. that one's going to be very interesting. 
uh, that it can potentially be available. And I hope it's all 350-pound <laughs> def defensive tackles that also double as fullbacks. Like uh, McMillan, if you remember, I think it was. From Cal. At Cal yeah. That wore, I think, 99. He needs to be in the number zero. That would have been good. Brandon uh, Peely? Use him as a fullback? Yeah. Brandon Peely would have looked great in the number zero. But the, one of the other things was that you can only have two of the same number on, on a roster now. So occasionally there would be, you know, if you have – a couple of walk-on punters, they would all be 49. Yeah. And you know, they're never getting in the game or whatever, but it was just just to simplify things a little bit. So, you know, hopefully that means that USC figures their stuff out a little bit yeah. better. Simplifying things should help USC because they seem to make things complicated in a lot of ways. <laughs> oh, sassy Ryan tonight is interesting. Well, sassy. We, we haven't had a show. which Ryan we're going to get sometime. <laughs> What's it been, like a week and a half since we did a show? It's been a while, it's been a while since Mr. Gunn has been on television. Yeah, we've done like two shows without him. There are, are most, those were like our highest rated shows ever, which oh, I don't know if that's well, saying. I mean, I think I'm just kidding. I don't know. Like, <laughs> uh, Shotgun, how's your life been? You've been everywhere and back. Basketball, baseball. We'll get into that. We'll talk about USC baseball too. Ryan doesn't want to, but we'll talk about it. We will not. <laughs> we will. I run the show. Yeah, it, I mean, this is... This the month of January is kind of a down down month for me because there's only one sport going on and that's basketball and it does obviously doesn't take the same precedence that football does. We're not going to practice three times a week and then having a game and having a high school game therefore. But I did get a chance to get out and see some of USC's targets and commits for the next couple of years for basketball as well. Okay. Um. So got to see some high action stuff there. Baseball season has started. You know, I've been all over the place the last few weeks, you know, traveling, uh, seeing is because I cover the entire West Coast for a different site. So I've been seeing a, a ton of teams. I think in the first 10 days, I saw 16 games. Wow. Uh, first 10 game, 10 days of the season. So uh, and I have seen USC a couple of times. So got a chance to check them out as well. They've looked good so far. So, you know, it, it's been a seven and three or something. Is that right? Or I believe that's their yeah. record currently. They won yeah. again today. Oh, uh, then to maybe it's eight and three. I don't know. Maybe I saw that earlier, but or maybe win, seven and three. I don't know. To win the series, but yeah, you know, this is this actually becomes once baseball season starts and once um, once football spring camp starts, it's actually the most ridiculous time of the year for me. So it goes from the light month of January to once it starts uh, spring camp because then there's technically three sports going at once. Oh. True. And gentlemen, uh, you didn't plan this today, but a lot of people are taking offense of the colors you two are wearing. Uh, and a smart viewer pointed out USC's playing UCLA in basketball on Saturday, and uh, you're, you look very blue today. Oh, I was like, I got a, I got a new shirt. No sponsor, you know the Untuck It things. You see a lot of like sponsor. Maybe Untuck It wants to sponsor us, but <laughs> I got it for Christmas, and I was like, I actually had it a part of the closet. I didn't realize it. I'm like, oh, I forgot about this shirt, so I put it on. So sorry, it wasn't about any kind of colors or anything. I just yeah, this is my attempt to be a neutral color because I went and saw Long Beach State versus Mississippi State battle of top twenty five teams this morning, and then I went and saw Cal State Fullerton versus uh, San Francisco. So. Four distinct colors there that, you know, baby blue is about the only one that's, that works as a neutral. Yeah. Makes sense. Now, like I said, spring starts uh, not next week or not this week. Next week, March 10th. I'll put the schedule up so you guys can view it. It'll be open both to the media and to fans. And we've seen this kind of uh, arrangement from Clay Helton in the last couple of years. We'll, they'll practice the first week uh, and then take a week off for spring break and then come back and have four uh, or now three consecutive weeks. Ryan, I, I want to get your opinion first on this. What is your takeaway from this type of configurement? I know USC, uh, they have to have that acclimatization period that first week. But what do you make of that plus the, the spring showcase? You've already kind of said your thoughts on that, but yeah, the spring game. Well, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of like the taking a week off thing in the middle because it ends up being a little bit more than a week that you're not around. But, you know, they've been doing it for a while now. So 
whatever. But I, I'm also not a fan of you know not having the spring game be the very last practice. I'd like it to just end with the spring game, not showcase, not all that stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I did like, so we had, uh, I don't know if we've had a, do we have one of these since we had Mike Bone on the podcast? Um, I'm not sure if we did. Or maybe we did. Yeah, we did later that evening. You're I not think. saying what it is, so I can't confirm. It was a Peristyle podcast. We had Mike Bone uh, uh, yes. at the athletic director on as a guest. And uh, yes. it made some national headlines and stuff. It was what? kind of fun. But one of the things he said was, and I, we asked him about like spring football and like practices. And the way he said it, what he said, it's going to be, uh, we invite everyone to come out. It's going to be open to the fans, open to the media. It, it sounded like there was definitely some kind of meeting about that. Like, here's what we need to do. We're going to open things up and let make sure everyone can come. And because even at the the spring showcase that they've had at uh, Cromwell Field the last couple of years, it was just this weird configuration. Like they let people in, but it just I don't know. It, didn't, it wasn't very welcoming. Uh, now it sounds like they're going to be a lot more welcoming. So it seemed to me that was another decision that at least the athletic department was you know, a part of in some way. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And if they can get it back in the Coliseum, I think that's another opportunity yes. to showcase what you were trying to, you know, is trying to be the gym of the, the program. You know, they're doing dinners and stuff there. They're doing recruiting events, you know, in the tower, the scholarship tower. So you know, if you get the chance to, to give fans that tour that they were not able to do in the fall right. showcase, um, I, I think they were it, supposed to, but then it wasn't quite finished, right? It wasn't so quite they, ready. Yeah. You know, didn't pa hadn't passed all the elevator tests or something. Uh, so, you know, fans didn't get it, get that opportunity. So, I think that's an extra opportunity for USC to kind of showcase their product a little bit. And you know, Mike Bone to be you know there and talking with people once again. You know, he does really well in those uh, personal interactions with people. He Everyone does. usually comes away. Uh, you know, impressed with what he has to say. So, I, I think it's just an extra opportunity there. I'm like you. I would rather it be a true game at the end. You know, try to build it and try to you know sell as many tickets or invite as many people out, invite as many high school teams as you can out. Whatever, just get them in the Coliseum. Hey, look at this atmosphere. Look at you know where you could potentially play. All that type of stuff. I don't like the schedule. I said this to Keely. Uh, I, I went on a rant on it. I think on, on the Family Feud. I don't yes, know if she plug. kept. I don't know if she kept it in the. Family I, Feud. I edited it down a little bit, but I kept some of the rant. <laughs> I, I don't like. I don't like the fact that they they're starting it next week. I would much rather them start this week. If they're going to take that week off, then the Pac-12 tournament for basketball is open. The media can cover it. You know, you give a little credence to your basketball team. You know, they have an opportunity. I'm not saying they will, but they they are talented enough to potentially make a run in the tournament. You're not going to have anyone that's going to be able to to cover both football and basketball in, oh, in that yeah. event. So I, I think you're hurting yourself there. You know, you've talked about a lot about how you know having open practices and having media there. I think this is something that that can take away from you know your overall to your your money makers if you're not allowing the media to to cover both. That's true. And it's it hard. used to be where you would have like a writer for both. And the, you know, yeah. the newspaper like LA Times going to have one guy. You know, and you're going to how do you cover both of them? Yeah, and it's it's difficult to kind of balance that. And it's difficult to schedule all those things out because there's so many other events that are going on on campus. But if it's your two biggest, highest revenue sports, I think you should try to make it possible there. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to have a Saturday practice along with a um, UCLA basketball game. You know, so how's that going to work? Is that – or is it, am I getting my timing you're, wrong? You're getting your timing wrong. Oh, I'm okay. living on the off in that one. Yeah. But I think that also it doesn't make sense to have the acclimation period and then take a week off. If you're going to take a week off, do it in the middle and say, hey, we got to go hard. We got to go, you know, we got to be going flying through a wall until we get this because we're going to have an extra week to heal up. 
What are you going to heal up from in the acclima- after the acclimation period? Owie, I, 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 I hit my finger. What, what is this? I mean, I, that's how I would kind of champion it to my team is, hey, we're going to go really hard, and then you guys are going to get a full week off. If we just go as hard as we can this week, you know, in the first full pad a week, and then we're going to take a week off, we'll assess everything, we'll get you guys back in, and the last two weeks we can, you know, work on things and then get ramped back up towards going into that, you know, the stretch and, and getting that spring showcase, spring game. I just don't like the way that it's acclimation period, week off, and having the week off the way it's scheduled with basketball as well. Yeah. How much is the spring showcase, the scheduling of it, dictated by the Pac-12 Network and when they can um, put it up? Uh, I mean, I think... Broadcast it. When they broadcast it, yeah. Yeah. I think if USC said we're going to do our spring game whatever day, then the Pac-12 Network should go, okay, we'll put that on because that's going to be one that you people would watch. So, And if they don't, that, that's that's something that USC needs to address because if they've moved their spring game, you know, that's not at the end of their spring practice and that's what they wanted to do because of the Pac-12 Network, which is a, which is a terrible business venture, then that's, a, that's something that's wrong and needs to be addressed. So maybe that was decided before Mike Bone came in, but my, my guess is, Mike Bowden and his department wouldn't really put up with something like that. So uh, I, I don't think that's the case, but maybe it was before and that will change in the future. That's something that we can ask, though. That'll be interesting. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. You're, you're supposed to be the crown jewel of the Pac-12 yeah. in football. You should be able to have a little bit more sway about when you actually participate. You'll have your game if they want to put it on. Yeah. Tell them, look, if you, hey, this is what our schedule is going to be. Because what happens when, you know, there's rain or something or you have, you know, you have, unfortunately, there's weather or something happens like that. They change the schedule, right? Yeah. Well, right. what 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 conversation could happen? You know, it's like ring, ring. Uh, it's a Larry Scott, uh, USC. But, uh, you know, you were going to have your spring, spring game on April 13th or whatever it was going to be. Could you move it a week earlier? Because Oregon State would like to do theirs. Really want to show it on the network. It's like no one should ever have that conversation. So I... Now, the more I'm thinking about this, Keely, now you're going to make me mad. So we don't want – that should not have happened. If that happened, then there's a, there's going to be some heads rolling because that's a terrible decision. If USC moved the spring game for it because other people were going to have their game You're getting there. upset over a hypothetical though, right? Right. We don't fully Which I'm going to – maybe I'll send a text right now and find out what's going on. So I, I'm going to do that and while we're broadcasting. It also could be if it was – especially with the previous regime, it could have been USC just waited that long and they are like, hey – Everyone else has already scheduled their games. This is the date that probably works best. And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, we'll do that. Yeah, that's a, that's the wrong answer too. Like, guess what? They can move. Uh, Oregon State can move theirs, or Washington State can move theirs. No, I'm saying that that was the previous ineptitude. Like, they wouldn't have scheduled it right. out. Yeah, it's like, uh, oh, well, we we're gonna have a. Yeah, I guess we can do a spring showcase if you want. <laughs> like, we hadn't even thought about that. You know, it's it's yeah. February. It's at Valentine's Day. And they're like, oh, wait, a spring showcase. Yeah. What sport is that for? We have it. That's one thing we haven't got more information on because people have asked that we haven't been told specifically if it's going to be uh, at the Coliseum or what the yeah. format is. So uh, we'll we'll find out. We do know, like we said, Mike Bone told us that they're going to be open to everybody. So at least we know that. And speaking of Mike Bone, I'm going to jump back into spring camp in a bit. But he talked to Dennis Dodd. Ryan, you're aware of this. Kind yes. of talking about what we talked about on our podcast. What was your takeaway about? Some people said he was walking back what he said, but I feel like there's dynamics at play here. There is. So we did the interview with Mike Bone, and I asked him at the end, like, hey, you know, about the Pac-12 and how it's, you know, financial issues. And, hey, would going independent or leaving the conference, you know, would those things be on the table? And he said, everything's on the table. And it was like, oh, okay, so USC is going to act like USC now. And if, 
if the Pac-12 isn't providing the kind of revenue support that they need and going independent with like Notre Dame and being on NBC does, then they would be open to doing that. He kind of backed off and said, there's no plans to, so Mike Dodd, I mean, Mike, Dennis Dodd, Mike Dodd's a volleyball player, Dennis Todd, who's a friend of ours, we, we like Dennis a lot, um, you know, had a kind of controversial story a week earlier when he was given this glowing praise of Clay Helton and the fans really killed him. Then he talks to Mike Bone, and it seemed like in the initial part, he was backing off a little bit about, we're not going to, you know, we're not looking to leave the Pac-12, which I think is true. They're not looking to it, but they want to keep their options open. And he made some other comments later on that was, you know, I think John Wilner did it well. Like John Wilner looked at that and said, Mike Bone has tw now twice said they could look at doing things to leave the conference, even though it seemed like in the beginning he was saying, we're not looking to do that. But his language was, we are open to, you know, what, what's going to be best for USC. And I think that's something we just haven't seen before. And the big thing about this is you stay, I mean, it, right now USC's house is a mess. And it's going to be, it would be hard to do something like that. This is assuming you can clean it up over the next couple of years and USC gets back to where they're going to be. But looking at the revenue, the way it's distributed, USC's revenue from the last contract of this one's gone up a little bit for the other, like for the Oregon States and Washington States and Arizona's of the world, it went up significantly and came up to USC. But the problem is, even if you're making the same money in Los Angeles, your UCLA, or USC, as Washington State does in Pullman, Washington, 33 million a year or whatever goes way further in Pullman than it does in Los Angeles. So you have USC and UCLA bringing in the majority of the TV revenue, but they're getting a smaller portion of the overall revenue because their cost of doing business is much higher than some of the other things. So it's not a great, it's, and I think Pat Hayden was a part of this and uh, that should have never agreed to anything like this. I don't think Mike Bone will, but I think he's sort of putting the Pac-12 on notice like, hey, you can't just push USC around anymore. So I think this is a good thing. Does it mean all the way to leaving the conference or uh, going independent? I think you, know, you have to look at those options. Just talking about those options, and we've said this for years, just bringing that up, I think you've stirred the hornet's nest up in, uh, you know, in San Francisco, and you've made them aware. And that's what you want to do because USC wants to get the best deal they possibly can. And after all this talk, which we started, so you know, props to us, uh, that's probably a good thing for USC going forward. Shotgun, any thoughts Little besides there? rolling your eyes? No, uh, the, only, the only thing would be that, that I caught was you saying stirring the hornet's nest with the Pac-12. Is there really a hornet's nest? I've been told that people were aware of that, and maybe that's exactly why the Dennis Dodd story came out so quickly. There were some calls made, some favors pulled. Like we put something in the war room about it. You know, didn't get a lot of details, but that's you know, I think it there was a shot over the bow. It's more like a you know like a harmless ant nest colony <laughs> rather than a hornet's nest. nest. You know, like not fire ants, but just you know, yeah, black ants. ants. But USC was overwhelmed by those that that little friendly ant, you know, uh, colony before. Now they're going to stomp on it and maybe like throw, a, you know, flaming bag of poo on it and go, okay, now what are you going to do? <laughs> Why that? I don't analogy? know. That's a pretty good one. It's more of a doorstep thing than an anthill thing, but it, it'll work. Okay, moving on. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, spring camp talk. 
Ryan, you wrote an article this week about who is going to replace Austin Jackson at left tackle. Mm. That's one of the biggest questions going into this season, into spring camp, USC's offensive line in general. What are you thinking as far as left tackle and how that's going to go? Yeah, so you can check the story up on uscfootball.com. Uh, I think Chris Trevino did an overall offensive line story yeah. uh, a month or so earlier talking about that. And, you know, Austin Jackson's the only, you know, undergraduate or, uh, you know, non-senior to declare for the NFL draft. He was part, him and Michael Pittman were the only two Trojans at the Combine. I think both helped themselves with what they will do at the Combine. But there wasn't any, like, you know, obvious answer to who's going to be the next left tackle. Uh, I think Frank Martin was listed as the backup last year. He, we saw him in the spring actually do pretty well. He, there were so many guys out. He was the starting left tackle last spring, last spring showcase. But he just never, he's been around the program a long time. He's never seen him do much. He was the number two guy. Do you think he moves up and becomes the left tackle? I don't think so. He wasn't going to be in that early, you know, six, seven man rotation. It looks like Elijah Vera Tucker, who arguably the best offensive lineman, the highest graded from pro football focus, goes from left guard, moves out to left tackle. I think he's athletic enough to do that. I think he's got the size. And uh, then you can move some of the other pieces around and maybe a Frank Martin backs him up again. You have a Jason Rodriguez who I think he's changed his body quite a bit. He looks different than when he came in as a freshman and he redshirted last year, played in four games, I think towards the end of the season. He would be someone else that is in the mix and, and probably going to get some reps there. So we'll, that's one thing you want to watch in the spring is who's playing what position. They might move guys around. My guess is you want your blindside protected for Keaton Slovis. And you probably feel there's no like obvious answer, but Elijah Vera Tucker seems to be the best option. So here's the the question though for Elijah Vera Tucker: Do you want to move to left tackle? Yeah, because then you're taking your best lineman and moving him. No, and I'm talking about Elijah Vera Tucker himself because oh, yeah. Yeah, I think his future is as a guard in the NFL. That's a good point I too. I don't think now he's going to want to try to show that he can be a tackle. And if he can, that makes his stock rise even more because you have the versatility. You know, in, in the NFL, you want guys that can be able to play multiple positions, especially if they can play tackle and work their way inside. So that'd be great for him. However, if he gets exposed out there and he's just wasting his time compared to, you know, getting better and better as a guard and becoming one of the top three guards in the draft next year, then I think he hurts himself. So yeah. I think this is a you know this is what the spring is good for, and this is what these are. This is the interesting part of spring camp is that trial and error. Yeah. Okay, let's put him out there, see how things go, see what see what it looks like. If he's not quick enough, you know, there's edge rushers that are getting by him, and it's you know it's it's physical, not just you know the technique of, of being a tackle versus a guard. Then you make the switch back, and you see who else can go out there. You know, I, I've said before. I think Liam Jimmins is probably the guy I would try out there as well. I think he's athletic enough. He's I think a he's, big Jimmins fan. Yeah, I, I think yeah. He's, he's longer, um, and I think he's got pretty good feet. And just the strides he's made in his game since you know since he moved over the offense line has been tremendous. So I would give him an opportunity out there as well. Hey, if both of them can play it, that's even better. Yeah, because what's going to happen? You're going to have linemen's go, linemen go down yep. during the season. It happens every year. You never make it through a season without a lineman getting injured. That it's like you know, it's like a white, it's like a pink unicorn showing up on campus, um, and you, you don't have running backs make it through. Sure, you don't. Your position groups that have the most injuries are those two because you're in the trenches. People roll up on you, uh, so you get ankle injuries, miss a game or two or whatever. Hopefully, yep. it's nothing more. But you're going to have people miss, so you need to have not only that starter but you need to have somebody behind him in case the starter goes down you don't don't want to happen to you what happened at washington state a couple years ago when toa lobanon 
you know, had the staff infection, couldn't travel, and then Austin Jackson gets thrown out there. Well, then you get two more injuries in the game. Jimadoga and uh, Vianney Vianney, Last game he played. Yeah, went down for the season. So you have three guys go down, and suddenly you're throwing all your backups in there. And at that time, USC's backups were probably better – uh, we're yeah. closer to the first team than last year's were. Mm-hmm. So are you going to be able to build those guys up? You could probably get to five and maybe six this year, guys that you're going to trust. But can you build seven, eight, nine, potentially ten for when you do have an injury to where you can fill someone in rather than having to move somebody and flip somebody over the other side and try to change things up and you know make those adjustments on the fly and have to do that in a game? That's much more difficult than saying, our left tackle went in, but we have confidence in the backup that he can step in and take care of that. And then during the week, if we need to make a change, then we'll do it then. One thing real quick on that, if you want to look, you know, we're not sure how it's going to play out. There's some different options there, like we talked about. Yeah. Look at the recruiting class that USC brought in. What kind of bodies are we talking there? Like This wasn't about 265-pound guys that you were trying to build into offensive linemen. This was more about... Tall, long, you know, heavy guys that were, you know, 315, 320, whatever, 6'7", that you can put there and kind of get in the way. So maybe that's if they if Elijah Vera Tucker doesn't want to move out there or they don't feel comfortable moving him from a position they know he's got locked down, maybe you put one of your bigger bodies out there just because that's the more of the philosophy. The way they were recruiting that position, it seems like that's more the philosophy. You got these big guys there that are at least kind of get in the way. Yeah, and that's something that when you miss out on two straight classes, which they did on the offensive line, we've mentioned it several times, but you know, Jackson Carmen is starting at Clemson. You know, Pene Sewell starting and is the best left tackle in the country at Oregon. Those were the two guys you really wanted two years ago. And then uh, the previous class, you know, you missed out on Sean Ryan, who's starting left tackle at UCLA, and you missed out on Jonathan Now, who's up at Oregon as well. Those are your, your top targets, two top targets in each class, and you missed out on all four of them. And because of that, that's when you had to reach more. That's when you had to have the – this is an offensive lineman heavy class. And that's why we're – you know, that's why the ranking so low is we had to go get linemen. Well, why did you have to go get them? Because you – Because you missed for two years in a row. Yeah, yeah. missed for two years in a row. And that's that's the difference. When you are when you come off a class where you have five guys and you're really excited about the, those five guys, which is the the third-year guys or fourth to be fourth-year guys this, right, this year – with Austin Jackson and Jalen McKenzie and those guys, that's when you can go get a Liam Douglas and say, okay, we, we think Liam Douglas is a project, but we think in three years he's going to be a guy that can contribute for us, or maybe four. Uh, but he's going to be really good those last couple of years because he just hasn't played football before, but he's really athletic. We like his size. We think we can put more. And that's when you can do that, whereas when you miss out on a couple classes in a row, you got to be like, we've got to go get big boys that if we need to, we can throw them in there right now, and at least they're big and you know can be in right. the way. Yeah. As far as uh, personnel-wise, Tito had a question on YouTube who said, if AVT moves to left tackle, who replaces AVT at left guard? And that also kind of brings in the conversation, at what point do you think about Justin Dietrich and his potential at the guard position and maybe moving him over? I think with that's the center is going to be interesting because Dietrich seems to, you know, he's doing really well. He's, like, lifting, he's squatting, like, Volkswagens in there with uh, Aaron Osmus and stuff. They're doing a lot with him there. So, you know, does he move or do you, does Brett Nealon move? Um, I think you, you get an Andrew Voorhees back if you assume he's going to be healthy. Yeah. Is it a Liam Jimmins that can play one of the guard spots, Jalen McKenzie kicking out to the right tackle? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's like those six or seven guys that, you know, like Chaka was talking about, you can kind of move them around a little bit. But I, 
I think they're going to try some different options there if you move Elijah Vera Tucker. And we haven't even mentioned the guy that has played tackle as well as Andrew Voorhees. You know, he has tackle experience as a freshman, so he's another potential guy that, that can move out there as well. I think, like I said, I think it's going to be a trial and error period. And also, I think what happens in the spring and how comfortable they feel with some of those guys could determine how heavy they go after a grad transfer uh, you know, at the tackle position. Yeah. And it's a very thin grad transfer class right now. Now it's possible that something opens up after the spring. You know, guys feel like they're you know, you're at Alabama and you feel like you're not gonna be the starter, so you go in the portal and you go to USC and that works out for you. But that you know, that's a that's a hope and a wish and a dream for USC right now. I mean the Akering uh left tackle, Jasper asked about him, uh, Council, I can't remember his first name right now, but he asked if he comes to USC, is he good enough to start? I don't know. I, I mean, if you're grad transferring from Akron and we haven't heard a lot about him, usually not necessarily that much. Usually if there's a grad transfer, there's a tackle that's available, you would hear a lot more about yeah. him, even if it was a, a Drew Richmond you heard a lot about. You know, he started 20-something games in the SEC, mm -hmm. so, you know. There and was, there were several several programs out looking for that because you can always use an extra tackle. Yeah. Um, we have a question in regards to the offensive line. Pretty general, but it's from our buddy John on Facebook. He says, is this offensive line going to be able to run block and open some holes to establish some type of running threat this season? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we got to see. I, I think we saw how good the passing game could be. We never – like, it just – the way things shook. It took a while for the passing game to get going after JT Daniels went down. When you had, like, all three running backs going down, I think that sort of set the, the running game back as well. Yeah. You're going to have a little bit different look, I think, this year. I think they're going to be more uh, comfortable on the system. Uh, you know, as long as everyone's not getting hurt again, I think we'll see. I think they're going to try to establish the run a little bit more than what they were doing. Will this offensive line, though, be good enough to kind of punch people in the mouth and run when you know you're going to run? I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, we have to wait to see how it develops. But that's that would be something that uh, I think would be important to try to have, which I don't think they had that really last year. They could rely on the passing game, but... When they needed to run the ball, it wasn't always necessarily there. Yeah, and, and th there was a big discrepancy between first, I think it was six games of the season, and then the second half of the season. There was a big cutoff once you had the three running backs go down in the Arizona game. Uh, you know, I, I think that when when Vi went, went down the surgery, he still felt confident with Marquis Stepp and Stephen Carr being there. But then when both those guys got injured the next week, uh, it completely changed things. It changed how they ran the ball, and their their yards per carry went down by like a full yard. So they were actually wow. running the ball pretty well the first half of the season. They weren't running it a ton, but when they did run it, they were they were successful with it. So I, I think that they can be successful, and you know, having the running backs and not having a spate of injuries like that, you know, is is going to play into it. If you have something like happen like that again, you're going to have something similar where. You know, we'll see what Amon Ross St. Brown can do in the backfield type of thing. Uh, you know, they, they made the most of what they could do there. I think they were much more handicapped in that situation in the second half of the season, where in the first half of the season we saw they were able to run the ball with success at times. Still, you didn't feel confident to be like third and one, we can tell them to play, it doesn't matter type of thing. Uh, but I think that they were working and getting better. And I think second year in the offense, I think that that will help boost the, the numbers as well. And then the one thing on the recruiting side, they did miss on the running backs they tried to go after. So you could bring in a transfer portal running back as well. They, they, they ran into numbers problems last year, and it doesn't really get much better this year. So you kind of have to – they didn't address it with recruiting. 
Uh, they couldn't address it with a recruiter. They tried to, and they failed. Now you're going to try, maybe bring someone in the transfer portal, or you could face those same issues all over again. As far as um, shotgun, R- real quick, I just found the numbers that I had. It was they were averaging five and a half yards per carry through the first. I think it was first seven games. I can't remember what the cutoff was. Leading the Arizona game and averaging 156 yards on the ground per game. And then after that that spate of injuries. It was 4.6 yards per carry and only 100 yards per game. Okay. So they, you know, they were gaining 56 yards per game more on the ground, uh, you know, before the injuries that they had. And speaking of injuries, Randy on Facebook says, "Do you have any idea what the timetable will be for ITS to return from knee surgery? How serious was the injury?" And then, kind of similar, Matt Simmons on YouTube says, "Who will be held out of spring ball?" Oh, I don't know. I haven't. I don't. I haven't heard anything about ITS recently. I'm I, not sure. I would not expect ITS. Yeah. To, he would not be back for spring. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. From the injury and seeing him after the game, you know, it just did not look like a there was going to be a minor injury. It looked like it was something serious. So if he's even back this year, you know, that's kind of the question mark. Yeah. Uh, JT Daniels has done some work. Don't expect you to see him during the spring at all. Uh, you got Clay Hilton said, like, you can, he's going to do a little bit, but that – I Like stand I, Yeah, I don't think he's going to do much. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what he can do. Uh, you know, a couple other guys that have had um, – you know, Maneer McLean is working his way back. Mm-hmm. You should see Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy at full strength in the spring, which will be interesting to see. Ethan Ray should be closing in. He should be full strength. Uh, Max Williams, think he, I think he will be back for spring camp. Uh, I haven't checked on him recently. But, you know, some of the guys that ended the season on the DL, like uh, Atua CV, Nomura, uh, you know, guys like that, that they were kind of holding them out instead of trying to force them back in. I, I think you'll see those guys back, especially the guys that were freshmen. You, you, they're going to want to be back spring and trying to make an impact as much as they can. But off the top of my head, not a lot of guys are going to be completely out except for the couple that we mentioned. Adonis Ote had wrist surgery, but Chris had heard that uh, he will be back for spring. But okay. that's something that happened as well. Back to the, the uh, offensive line real quick. We sure. got a cup fowler, uh, Mario on Periscope. How would Jalen McKenzie look at left tackle with where he's going to right tackle? And then what are your thoughts of starting five of McKenzie, AVT, so left from right, okay. Jalen McKenzie left tackle, Vera Tucker left guard, Dietrich at center, Jimmins at right guard, and then Voorhees at right tackle. So what kind happened of similar to Nilon? Yeah, Nilon. Nilon got dumped, I guess. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Uh, Nilon's going to be in the lineup. Uh, if Dietrich is good enough to play and force Nilon to – either move or for Dietrich to play guard, that's another question. But they love the way that Nilon, you know, is able to decipher defenses at the line of scrimmage. And since there was no changes on the offensive staff, I don't see that changing. Just the, you know, just listening to Tim Drevno when he talked about how he was able to assess the defense and call out plays and help out a freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis, I think that they just, they really love Nilon there. That, which is why Dietrich was actually going to play, you know, had practiced some guard. Even though if you look at the body types, he's smaller, you would say, you know, you kind of want an inverted V uh, or a V, excuse me, you know, as far as height on an offensive line, just, you know, so a quarterback can see in the middle. Yeah. That, that's the idea behind it. You don't you, want a six seven center is what you're saying. Yeah, you don't want the 6'9 guy in the middle, <laughs> and then, you know, you have little tiny, you know, a 5'10 offensive tackle who has short arms who the defenders go right behind yeah. or right by. He like gave a little oh, like, dinosaur arms. Yeah, T-Rex arms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so you, ideally you want a V, and so you want your shortest guy in the middle, you know, if you can just make your hypothetical lineup. 
And so Justin Dietz, you would say, oh, he's a center. If you're going to choose between center and guard, you take him because he's a little bit shorter there versus knee line. He's got a little bit uh, is a little bit wider in the shoulders. He's more of a, a guard body type than uh, Dietz. That would be ideal. But you know, I, I talked with with uh, you know so one of the top offensive guys during the season about that and just posed that question. They're like, no, if if we if we put both of them in the game, it'll be Dietz will be at guard. You know, that's what we've had him practicing there and stuff. We just really like the way that Nilon oh. you know, is able to to do all the pre-snap stuff. And so now maybe that changes a little bit with what Didich was able to do in the last couple of games and show, hey, I can do that too. And, and maybe he's boosted his way up. But just the way it sounded when talking to this person did not seem like that would be, you know, if they were going to have uh, both of those guys on the field, the Nilon would be the guy in the middle. What about McKenzie at left guard, left tackle? What do you guys think about that? I I just think he's going to be right tackle, but he know. he they did get some run and fall camp of him at left tackle when they were trying to like move things around. But I just don't. I think he's more of a right tackle yeah. than mine. Uh, we forgot someone. Mr. Eccles reminded us that Hunter Eccles will not be cleared for contact in spring. So that's someone who will not oh, okay, uh, yeah. be participating in spring. There. Which is which is a bummer because you have a whole di- yeah, different defensive defense. system. You don't know where, you know, these outside linebackers, what they're going to do. So it would have been good to see kind of where he was used. Mm-hmm. We have a, but I'm going to jump into a call. But before we do, I'm going to answer this interesting question from Christian. He says, would you guys rather see USC use two back sets or use the tight ends more? Which group excites you more? Uh, I think the tight ends are deeper, and it's like it's more of a passing offense. I'd rather just see him use the tight ends more. I'd rather see two backs and throwing it to the backs. Oh, okay. Ooh. Multiple routes. You're just trying to get Stephen Carr the Heisman. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. he, no, he issued an official apology on the Family Feud podcast. Oh, he did? Prediction. Okay. He said junior year, and it's it's past. Oh, it is. That. Yeah, well, thanks, Christian, so. for the, the Facebook Yes, uh, thank you. Let's go question. to our live caller who's been waiting patiently. I appreciate it. I believe it is Coley from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. We're very popular in Iowa. It's the same yeah. people from Iowa. <laughs> yes, very, very popular. Yes, uh, gentlemen, of course, as your resident Notre Dame fan, uh, Shotgun, I have a, a, a beef with you. Even though it's not your fault, I'm still going to blame you. Uh, I like that. That's what I do. One. We do that, too. <laughs> thank you. So uh, USC bought their way out of uh, their game with UC Davis, which is understandable. And I remember Shotgun saying, you don't learn anything by playing UC Davis. I completely agree. And what did they do? Now you play San Jose State. What possibly does USC learn playing San Jose State? And I'm thinking, what, was, was Irvine Community College already booked? I, I don't get it. If you're going to replace UC Davis, replace it with a formidable team at least. And and maybe if this was a 2028 game, you could you do could, that. Yeah. But I, I think you were very limited in the teams that were available at the time. And the only reason San Jose State was available is because Georgia bought them out. They made a bank on this, by the way. Yeah, they made like three and a half million dollars. Yeah, it's, it's huge because uh, Georgia San Jose buys, State did, not USC. Because Georgia buys out their contract so that they can play against Clemson. Everyone's excited about that game. You know, they, they, they already had a game on the schedule, those two teams, which they played several times in, in their histories, but they'd already got a game for later in the 20s, but they wanted a game sooner, you know, get those two coaches because you never know in seven years who's going to be the coach or if the team's going to be good or not. Um, but for USC... When that opens up, and okay, San Jose State's available, 
our, you know, all our fans have been railing on this playing an FCS team. Here's an opportunity to make it, you know, happen and change the thing. So I think it was a good move by by them to address the fans' concerns and, and you know. I, but I agree, you're not going to learn a lot more from San Jose State. Right. Uh, but you know, San Jose State is a little bit of a step up from UC Davis. You know, it's not yeah. a, a huge step up, but. And I mean, the, the big reason was because you didn't want to play an FCS school, and yeah. Notre Dame has not done that, UCLA has not done that, and USC has not done that. So you wanted to avoid that. And from what I talked to, this you have to kind of blame the previous administration for scheduling it to begin with. If they would have scheduled something better a couple years back, it would have been easier. But then the new administration comes in, and everyone's calling to complain, hey, we don't want to play UC Davis next year. And it's like, okay, well, what's available? And San Jose State became available. You got to give them credit for going out and getting it. If they could have canceled it before January 1st, they would have saved like $250,000 on the buyout. But you can't cancel the game not having a replacement. So they needed to get the replacement before. So I, you know, for anyone that was being critical of you should have just canceled it, I don't think you can cancel it until you get a replacement. That one fell out of the sky and it, it worked out. To, if, they, if that didn't happen, they were going to have to do something like what Georgia, did, you know, you're going to have to try to find someone else that would a bigger name that would play you, and get them to cancel their FCS school or whatever it is. Like, it would have been pretty complicated. So this, I give this administration credit for fixing it, but it wasn't their problem to begin with, and it wasn't an easy problem to fix because USC drug their feet and scheduled a game that they didn't need to schedule when they did. Uh, so I think, thank you, Coley, for the call. I yeah. think there's like a beacon that goes out in Iowa when one Iowa resident calls the show, <laughs> another one does, because we have Dave from Iowa uh, on the line. There uh, must be, I don't know much about Iowa. There must be lots of people that live there, because I assume they think there's a huge demographic. <laughs> yeah, but Dave, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello. Hi, Tunnel Vision. How's it going? Uh, I just had a question. What was the thought process of offering a former two-star offensive lineman that's in the transfer portal rather than offering, oh, gee, I don't know, an offensive lineman that has won a national championship now in, in the LSU offensive guard. Now, yes, he was he was a backup, but still, I mean, he knows what it takes to win. What are your thoughts? Interesting. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I think they their, their specific need is tackle, and that's what was available. I think that would be the main reason why. Like, you could bring someone in that was a backup at LSU that was a four-star or whatever coming out of high school, and move them around. But I, I think when you're looking at, if you want an option to fix your left tackle problem, you pretty much need to take an existing left tackle. Like, I don't think you can get someone that you were going to move. But I don't know as much about him. I don't know if you saw much about the LSU player. Yeah, I, I don't know a ton about either of those guys. But also, you want a guy that's played versus a guy, hey, maybe he's got some potential, but he's been a backup. You want a guy that you can see the tape, you can evaluate and say, yes, this guy can – especially for a left tackle position. If it was a right guard, that's yeah. a whole different story. But the left tackle is such an important position and such a dire need for USC this season, um, then I, I think you want you want someone who's established that they can do the job. Now, can this Akron guy do that? Yeah. Still to be the target. And if you were trying to add overall depth, I think that's a valid argument. But you yeah, had a true. really specific yeah. need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dave, for the call. We appreciate it. We have all our Iowa caller, call, callers out of the way. Now we just need our Glendora guys. That's, nice. That's the next I got one. another Periscope one sure, if you go want. For uh, it. From Maddie. Uh, for Shotgun, are we going to get more in depth game breakdowns of formations, et cetera, this year? Mm. Are we referencing the the season totality stuff that has been in the war room? I could potentially uh, publish some of that for yeah, everyone as well. Um, but 
you know, it's during season. It's basically it's a struggle. It's it's as much as I can get out. Yeah, uh, you know, he's it, basically putting out as much as possible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the only reason we can get the the film breakdown is because I come in and help him. So he's he's swamped during the season. <laughs> but that's a good idea, though. But yep. some of the stuff that we have that you've put in the war room. You know, it's already there. We can kind of put it out as free content and let you guys kind of take a look and see. And that would give you, you know, it's a great opportunity. Like, hey, I love this stuff. Well, you can get it if you subscribe to USCfootball.com. Check it out. Ten bucks a month. It's we'll a pretty have a good meeting deal. about it afterwards. But no, I'll, I'll see if there's any more kind of kind of uh, data to, to call from it as well. Because um, er, I have my spreadsheets that I have where, that I do all the participation data and all the formation breakdowns and all that stuff. You know, there's like 17 different tabs on it. You know, you can ask him like random questions and he'll be like, I'll look it up. It's it, a lot of info. That's what he just talked about. Like the first seven games, they average, you know, yeah. five uh, yard per carry last. Like he pulled up a spreadsheet tab and like there it was. You know, I would also like to point out that's when they've called run plays. That's not just going on the stat sheet and saying, oh, well, the sacks yeah. count and all that stuff. No, yeah. that's called yeah, run that's plays. Without sacks in there or anything. Yeah. yeah. Or scrambles that turn into yeah, whatever. Yeah, don't count the scrambles either. Mm-hmm. We have a question from Coach V on YouTube who says, will we see more of Dorian Hewitt this year? What are the chances of him starting? Watch out for Dorian Hewitt now. Yeah. He's the guy the coaches really, really like. You know, And now let's see what the new coaching staff right. thinks the about The old coach him. is dead. So. Yeah. <laughs> sure, that's a good point. Uh, well, I think if you can go up to Clay Helton. Clay Helton really liked okay. Dorian Hewitt as well. So, But, yeah, I think that he really impressed the, the former regime. We'll see what he does with the new coaching staff. I think he really impressed himself as a cornerback. Mm -hmm. He didn't know that he could play cornerback. Yeah. You know, when they put him out there initially, he told me after I think the uh, the Arizona State game, he's like, they put me out there. And I was like, why am, why am I playing cornerback? <laughs> I'm not a cornerback. It was like the second or first play that he was put in the game was the two-point conversion, and he mm -hmm. batted down the ball. It was really impressive. Yeah, and he had a couple more plays there. But just like when they put him out there for fall camp, he was like, I don't know what, what I'm doing out here. And then he started making a couple plays and a couple plays, and his confidence grew and grew. And I think that he's a guy that has the skill set to play that position. And it's interesting that he didn't play. You know, that he was a really good safety on a championship team in Texas, and was just was not rated highly, was under recruited, I would say. And he has a chance to to be pretty good. This might be kind of the the inverse Marvell Tell, mm. uh, where you get a high school safety and he becomes a college cornerback versus Marvell Tell. You know, being a college safety and becoming an NFL. Uh, That's true. Thanks, Coach V, for that one. Yep. Ryan, is there any more Paris? Yeah, I got one? another one. Trojan uh, 1604. This is more on the recruiting side. How much will Armand Hawkins, he means Armand Hawkins Jr., bring uh, to our future recruiting? So he was the most recent, uh, you know, recruiting analyst, recruiting support staff hire. It's uh, Chris Hawkins' brother, uh, played at Idaho, I believe. You know, was involved in all that Ground Zero stuff. Um, so, you know, definitely brings uh, some cachet to that uh, recruiting department. Well, he knows all the Ground Zero people. He wasn't really involved. And that was kind of the things with where the question mark about uh, persons with the IAWP. Like, there's some NCAA rule. Like, basically, if you worked in the high school ranks and then a college wants to hire you as a non-full-time assistant, like, you can't recruit anyone you've been associated with for, like, two yeah. years prior or two years after so it's a it's kind of a mess so he was he was around it because his dad runs the ground zero but he wasn't he wasn't a coach or anything there, because yeah. they've had you know they've had former usc uh db anthony brown they've had you know had some guys that actually worked there chris hawkins had did had done some stuff working with guys individually and whatnot so it, it's 
you know, it's not quite the same there, but he knows all those kids because, you know, his dad knows all those kids. So that's a that's a big boost for USC to be able to to stay in the running with those guys, I would say, because Chris Hawkins knows all of them as well, and yeah. he's at Arizona State, so yeah. you don't want to give up. So now you're going to have a brother-versus-brother brother recruiting battles, which is which is really cool. That is uh, cool. Really yeah. fun. I looked. They're I, almost the same age, too. Like They're, they're, yeah, like, so, they're like a couple months apart or something. So uh, Armand was, uh, I think, a year older than uh, than Chris as far as schooling um, because you know he was at Idaho. They played each other. And I looked through. I actually still have Idaho, USC-Idaho, photos on my camera and I was searching through to see if I could find any of him but I think I'd already previously taken them all yeah um you kind of mentioned the beef between ASU and USC meaning the the recruitingness we had a question from Daryl the recruitingness recruitingness we had a question from Daryl who said what's up with the Twitter fight between SC and ASU and it kind of goes to USC's motto they always have a motto each year and this year it's take back the west which if you're going to have a statement like that that's semi-vague and also uh, provocative, you're going to get some response. So USC did get some uh, some heat for it. And ASU, for some reason, thought that USC was talking about them. And uh, they said, oh, we own the – what was it, Chuck? And they, are, they were like, we already have the West or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they were like, we own the West because under um, – under Herm Edwards, they've done really well recruiting yeah. California in particular. And, you know, they've gotten a lot of – all Americans from the various games and done really well. And, you know, we'll see if they continue, if the win loss record starts getting a little bit better for them because they've been pretty consistent with her members. They haven't really, you know, taken that next step up to nine or 10 wins yet. So uh, that's the next step for them. But recruiting wise, they've done pretty good because Antonio Pierce, there, former Long Beach Poly head coach, former, you know, NFL linebacker, and they have all the NFL experience on that staff. And that's an alluring trait, you know, for, for a coaching staff. And that was one of the things that, you know, USC could sell with Monty Kiffin or Clancy Pendergast. It's like, this guy's been in the NFL, you know, he's been to Super Bowls, you come learn from him. They now have that with Marvin Lewis and, uh, you know, just the, the plethora of guys they have on that staff. Now, one thing they did is they got younger this offseason, Arizona State did, by bringing in Prentice Gill, former USC grad assistant, bringing in Chris Hawkins. So they got rid of some, some older guys, brought in some, some young blood. And those guys, both of those two guys in particular can recruit Southern California really well. And I think it was more – I think people made more of it, but it was more like us going at each other in a text chain. Yeah. And it was just on social media, you know. Because those guys are very friendly. They were yeah. on social media when they were at USC, and now it's sort of just like spilled out. And I think it's smart on ASU's part because when I thought of what that statement was, they're talking about Oregon, you yeah. know, bringing in the offensive lineman that J the shotgun mentioned or Justin Flo or Kayvon Thibodeau. And ASU's like, hey, we've got a bunch of Southern California guys who don't forget us. We're also poached your people. So don't just be poking fun at Oregon. You got you basically like you need to poke fun at us because we've taken guys too. So, okay, the first time that I saw Take Back the West and I could be wrong was when Dante Williams yeah. put it in his notes column when he was leaving Oregon to USC, which kind of would make sense why it's alluding to Oregon as well. But the whole text thread thing that you mentioned, Shotgun, the first person who tweeted it at AS, from ASU was not related to Prentice or uh, Hawkins. It was someone else, and then Gavin kind of went in, and then Prentice and Hawkins joined in. So it was a little bit of a beef. It wasn't too friendly. I still don't think it's that much. I, I mean, because you get Gavin involved, you get yeah, he's yeah, Chris Hawkins yeah. involved, you get Prentice involved. Those guys are you know all just good-natured, good, good -natured, you know, 
cracking jokes type of, of guys. So I think that's kind of what you get. Yeah, yeah, they would argue on social media about who had yeah. a better like three point shot or whatever. Yeah, now yeah, it's yeah. gonna be like which school they were. They would just. It is kind of like a text in that sense that they're just talking to each other. Now they happen to be at different schools. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we have a question from Raphael on Facebook who says, I know this hasn't happened since the Pete Carroll era, but I noticed many schools still do field testing in the winter and summer, as in 40 times shuttle, cone drills, and bench. Does SC not do this anymore or what? They I think they still did as of a little while ago. It's not something that they really publicize. Um, Aaron Osmus does like to do stuff on social media, but it's mostly – like weightlifting stuff. We don't see as much of the, like you might see Gavin Morris in his story when they're doing some conditioning things out on the field. But I don't know if they get, they definitely publicized them, but I'm not sure if they're doing like 40 times and things like that. No, they, when recruits come to campus and they come for a camp and, you know, they're a five-star guy, they go through the same thing too. USC has that data themselves because they want to know when that guy actually runs. Yeah. Oh, he says he's a four four. What is he actually? Okay, he's four four six. Four six two. Yeah. <laughs> four six two is not bad in high school. People need to understand that. Right, everybody right. runs a four four. If you run a four four in high school, you're legit. Yeah, it's very rare that that happens. Stop hand timing. Get some electronic <laughs> times. Uh, but you know, the, so USC is going to do that for their own players too. I would be shocked if they are not doing those type things. Do those get publicized? No, not necessarily. Maybe a player tells you, like, yeah, I've improved this. Uh, in the off season, and sometimes it's I've added, you know, 100 pounds on my bench press, or I've added, you know, I'm I'm running the 40 a little, or I'm running faster. A lot of times they don't publicize their times in in particular because you get a lot of I don't know the right word negative scouting, I guess, based on times and stuff. Uh, it, it happens, you know, when I'm covering college baseball, you get the same thing based on velocities and stuff. But when guys see them in person, that's when they can make their own just. Um, own decision on guys and whether or not they're legit prospects. You'd rather have that than someone see your time and be like, well, that guy's not a prospect and never go see him. Yeah. It's funny. Like they, you know, with the combine just wrapping up, they were showing like, I think like the top three, like wide receivers in the NFL all didn't have really good 40 times. Who's the dude in uh, Houston. That's awesome. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Hopkins. Yeah. Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah. Like Clemson. he was like four, seven, one or something like, you know, one of the best receivers in the league there. It's, I think uh, that um, Michael Thomas, the the guy out of Ohio State, for it, he was killing it for New Orleans and Drew Brees. Like it was same, like four six nine or something. Like those guys didn't have great John, times. Johnson's nephew. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it's speed is one thing, but you know, speed is probably much more important for DBs than receivers because receivers can still get open. You know, if you can get by guys, that's, that's huge. If you can Gary Bryant guys, as, as we can call it, uh, then that's great. If you can get behind and, and blow by people. But in the NFL, it, it's more about – and I, I thought Mike Mayock made a really good point, the now uh, Raiders GM. So he was asked about why receivers, a lot of times early round draft picks, they struggle early in their careers. He said they're not used to true uh, a man press covering you. Yeah, you know it's different when you have an 18 year old freshman than you go and it's a you know a 35 year old vet who's you know yoked up you know or Richard Sherman's out yeah. there on you. That's a lot different. That's a lot he's, different. He's put his hand in the chest of many a young receiver. He's <laughs> yes. got, he knows what to do, and you're like, whoa, no one ever punched me in the chest like that before. You're like, yep. And no. you know how <laughs> you know how quick a, a four two forty is when you get punched in the chest like that. <laughs> it's not that quick. <laughs> Suddenly it's five five because you're still on the line of scrimmage <laughs> so so speed plays up but you, you got to get off the release and you got to do a lot of different things you know it's it's just one element and and it's more of a fan driven thing to pay attention to the 40 times 
Uh, they are something that the coaches pay attention to. They also are looking at that split offense lineman. They don't care about that actual forty time. That they care about that ten split. seconds. Yeah. You know how how longer? How many times are offense linemen running forty <laughs> yards and making a play? Not really happening. Yeah. Uh, maybe once once or twice a year. So th- it's th- more important that ten yards. I just saw a replay from one of the old Dallas games. Where I think it was like Larry Allen. It was an interception, like Roma or someone throws an interception and. Was it that like the the big tackle or whatever like from back or you know he's running down the sideline and makes the tackle so the offensive lineman like some linebacker or whatever like intercepts the ball and he has like an angle on him and like tackles him to save the touchdown or something it's crazy <laughs> this big offensive line was it I forget who it was someone on the Twitter or something tell us but it was a yep. big Dallas you know tackle that uh, had to go around and make the play. So we've reached the top of the hour. We have a caller on the line. I'm going to go to him, and then we're going to come back and do some rapid-fire questions. Yeah. We have some good questions in the queue. Those were good. And, Kaylee, I think you did a great job putting a lot of the questions up on the screen. Thank That's you, what I've sir. always loved to see, the two, the YouTube and the Facebooks up I'm there. People, like, I'm Raphael, trying. you can see his face. Like, he's like, he looks like a cool dude. Like, Raphael, he had a Just cool Raphael. name. Yeah, yeah. And a cool dude. Uh, I put out the beacon for Glendora. They answered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> John from Glendora is on the line. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm waiting for Ryan to roast me again like he usually does. <laughs> no problem, John. So, You're the head no of the Matt Fink fan club. roast me like you do. <laughs> nah, and this ain't a Matt Fink guy. I'm sorry to tell you guys that. It's okay. Uh, it's but, good. yeah, uh, my, my, my biggest question for the year is the leadership role. Uh, with Michael Pittman leaving, Austin Jackson leaving, who is the real leader that's going to step into that role to lead this team? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't see it. Uh, I mean, I see all their social media posts, but I just see Michael Pittman as one of those guys, old school kind of player, tough mentality. So I don't know who's going to be that guy. Who do you guys think? John, what a terrible question, man. No, no I'm just kidding. That's a great – no, it's a really good question yeah. because – and USC over the years have had like more – like the Sam Darnolds of the world would lead, but they were not – Very quietly. Yeah, and I think Michael Pittman was the same sort of thing. He's worked throughout his college career to – feel better just being you know as, as you know his public speaking ability but i think he was a really good leader a guy like austin jackson you know going through what he did with the bone marrow transplant i mean it's a really good point who's going to be that person to step up you look to the quarterback uh is keaton slovis stand up on the table kind of guy probably not but he can be a good leader Hold on a minute. Yeah, yeah. Hold on a minute. We heard stories from offensive linemen. I believe it was which game was it, Shotgun? Uh, the Stanford game, wasn't it? Yeah, his first game. He said after after that first drive where it was, it didn't. I don't think it resulted in a in a touchdown. He came up to the offensive lineman. He's like, "We're not letting the ball drop again this whole game." Like he apparently got in people's faces. That's what Austin Jackson told us. So he could be fiery. Maybe you know, behind closed doors, which is that's where you need it to be. You don't need it to be like out in public or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't even think Sam Darnold was really that much of a leader. He was just such a shy guy, and I think he's got to learn that in the NFL even more. Um, Michael Pittman is interesting, and it's similar where he's not a very vocal guy. However, listen to the players, listen to the receivers, and listen to Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy talk about him. Yeah, and they, that's how you know he's a leader. Yeah, uh, Kyle Ford talking about playing special teams. He's like, when you look at Michael Pittman, you know, how do you not? And, you know, I, I kind of asked him, like, do you pick his brain uh, on situations like that about special teams? And he's like, yeah, I've been asking questions all the time. And that's where your leadership can come from within a position group. 
And this is a question on the offensive side, on the offensive side, that we've been asking for years. four years, five years. years now. Yes. Is who's going to step up and be that leader? I think there were more – you had more of it this year with Pittman and, mm-hmm. and Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson didn't say a bunch either. He was much more of a behind-closed-doors type of guy as well. Um, but I think Slovis is – because JT's not that. And that's what was one of the questions. J- JT's yeah. uh, a quieter guy too. Slovis, though, is a guy that is is more – I don't know the right word, but he's like he's bouncy on the sideline. He's bouncy, pat, patting guys on the shoulder, let's go, let's go type of thing. And you need that. You need the you need the veteran who's quiet too at the same time. You need that combination. Do you have a guy that does this on the sideline for like the whole game? Do you remember? Like Cody Kessler? That, well, that was all. So Sam Darnold too. He would yeah. do it. Yeah. Cody Kessler used to do interviews like that. That's yeah. what I remember. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think that it, it is a question, and I think that, that I think um, you you got to look at those offensive linemen that have been around that group together. Now they don't have to do it individually, but I think together, the four guys that are remaining from that class that came in together, I think that's where you need your leadership to come from. Whether it's Brett and Elon and, and uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, that group, you know, someone stands out, and those not necessarily are, are yelling, screaming guys. None of those guys are Zach Banner. But collectively, I think that they can be the ones that can kind of lead that offensive group. And Amon Ross St. Brown is the guy you look to and go, I want to be like him. Yeah. And he said as much. He said, I'm going into my upperclassmen. I'm going to be a junior. It's time for me to step up and kind of take the, the baton, if you will, uh, and be that leader. So he that's something he's at least cognizant of uh, going forward. Do uh, you think – sorry, Ryan. Well, some of, real quick. So do you guys think that having Clay Helton as a head coach, who's not the fiery guy – you don't really get that to spill off into the players. Like if you're Zach Banner and that's just the way you are, you're going to be that way. But are you going to develop like the vocal leader when you're it, you're not really getting that from the, the kind of the culture of the team because like, of the head coach? The whole remember the Titans attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Line. Sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's okay. tough to say. I mean, y- you want your coaching staff to actually help develop leadership which is taking guys aside and say, hey, you need to talk to this person, this person. I don't know if that happens at USC. You know, that's something that's behind closed doors. You don't really know unless someone comes out and tells you. Clay Helton came over to me and told me, hey, I need to speak up to him. And you know, talking with kids in different sports and stuff, it it becomes much more apparent the smaller the group. Uh, You can see it a little bit more then. Uh, But so with a group of 105 guys, it's hard to say, you know, if there's someone that's doing that all the time, and it's hard to do it as a coaching staff when you do have 105 guys. Yeah. So, but it's something that you should actively be trying to do. So some coaches have leadership groups and leadership gathering or whatever. They bring kids in. You know, you have your either your captains or you got eight guys that come, and those are your leaders, and they sit down and discuss what's going on with the team as a whole. You know, I had a coach do that with uh, us in college. Like we had a senior group, and he said, "You got." We came in once a week to discuss what was going on with the team and what we thought was needed to be doing, be done better. What the coach needed thought we needed to be doing better as a whole team, and then we passed along that message to to the younger guys that are near us. And that's where it's going to be interesting. Aaron Austin is being in his second year. Something he talked about specifically when we were on, he was on our show was that he kind of with his staff tried to recognize who the leaders were and put them in leadership positions in the weight room. And so do those leadership roles change in this new se- off season? How has that developed so far? I'm, I'm curious about, but what I was going to ask earlier is, do you think that this will be a, a third consecutive year in a row where we see one offensive captain and three defensive captains? 
I think Amon Ross St. Brown and Keaton Slovis could both get in. Yep. You also yeah. still have Tyler Vons, who's a fifth-year senior as well. True. He's uh, a little bit quiet, though. He's kind of quiet. Would Elijah Vera Tucker get a chance to be a captain? I, I, I don't it's, it's hard. I haven't even gone down the captain path yet. Let's see how they do in spring. See <laughs> yeah. who's leading in. That's a good point. Good, yeah, yeah. We're a little ahead of ourselves. But thank you, John, for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate it. I didn't roast you, John, so there Lindora we go. Lindora <laughs> callers. Yeah, that's true. You, you, you got by. Uh, let's go to a question from Augustine on Facebook who says, uh, does USC have any players that could position switch to running back or any other position of need? I believe we got this question on the Parastyle podcast this past week. Yeah, I think we well. did. What are we talking? So we like the Brew McCoy one's the most interesting, right? That was fun. Brandon Peely as a running back. Uh, that would, also fun. That'd be more of a. I mean, you don't see it <laughs> happening, but it'd be more of a fun like play. Get a couple plays there. Tight end. Um, Brew McCoy because of the new defense. I mean, who knows? Maybe they. We haven't. You know, he could get over there. Um, you know, Isaac Taylor. Uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart could go to running back or something like that. I don't remember who else did we talk about. Did we? Mention anyone else? Mm-hmm. As far as know. playing running back? There could be some, you or know. positions of need. Yeah, so, like, y- there's going to be minor ones. Like, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, if he moves out to the tackle. Like, those, like little things or safety to corner and nickel, yeah. things like that. But, but if like you're talking about, like. Jim and switch. Yeah, like, big ones. It's hard. Like, you know, Brew McCoy would be the one that, like, has the, uh, you know, best chance of happening, I would think. I mean, Liam Jimmins is the first guy to really play after switching sides of the ball or switching significant positions in I don't know how many years. It's been a long time. So if a guy switches position, usually it's because he's we got guy plenty of guys are better than you on the other side. So usually yeah. it does it doesn't really matter is what I'm trying to say. We shall see. I don't I don't think so though. I don't think it would be another cool name on the Facebook thing, Augustine. Sorry. Cool. Augustine, yeah, yeah. We have some cool names on Facebook. Uh, we have a question for Shotgun on YouTube. We promised this as well, we haven't talked about it yet. Big T thirty seven says Shotgun is USC men's basketball in the dance if they beat the Bruins this Saturday, or do they need to win two more games in the Pac twelve tourney? No, I think if if they get one more win, then that should lock it up. Um, beating UCLA at home would be great because UCLA is on fire right now. Yeah. UCLA is getting ranked in the top 25 by some people right now. Um, so it's going to be a big challenge with the way UCLA has been playing. You know, they've they've played bad in some games and still been able to find ways to win. You know, I, I watched a little bit of the game against Arizona. They're down in that game, come back. You know, defense plays. And that's why USC has been in pretty much every game this season, save the Marquette and the Washington games, is because their defense has been really good, especially the second half of the year. Um it, their offense, there's been big question marks about, and you know they're very they're, they can be streaky when they hit a couple of three pointers. It changes the whole dynamic of the of the offense of sets for USC because then teams can't uh, compress down on Anyekon Kongwu and Nick Rokosovich in the lane, and when they take care of the ball, you know that's a big thing. You know Arizona State really pressured them. They had 14 turnovers in the first half after having 24 turnovers. Uh, in the game in Tempe, including I think it was 16 or 18 in the second half of that game, which is why they blew that game. They had 14 in the first half on Saturday. Was it yesterday? Jeez, that seems yesterday, like so, yeah. so long ago. Because right. <laughs> it was three, an early game. I've seen why. three baseball games since then. Uh, but they, in the second half, they only had five. And only one of them was on against the the full full court pressure the Arizona State had. So can they find ways to just take care of the basketball? Yeah. And, why? It seemed like they made better decisions in the second yeah. half of that game when they were dealing with the press. So I don't know what if Andy Edfield did something, but they weren't throwing. The, they weren't these high risk plays that they were, and they you're getting picked off. You know why are there so many high risk plays? Why is Andy Edfield <laughs> not stopping them from doing that? Well, 
they have five freshmen, and their your main ball handlers are freshmen. It happened. That, yeah. That's kind of what's going to happen now. Ethan Anderson, as a senior, will not make the same mistakes he is making now. the The biggest question mark, or maybe even disappointment, is that Quentin Adlish hasn't been a guy that you can turn to to just hey, just take care of the ball, be the point guard. It, that's just, he's not able to deal with the length that Pac-12 defenders actually have. Now he played great yesterday. Had his best game as a Trojan yesterday. You know, locked down Remy Martin for a good part of the game. Was huge on the defensive end. Hit two threes. You know, he he played great. If they he can get that kind of effort from Quentin Adlish, it changes things because if he can control the ball and not turn it over and just be a guy that just be that glue guy that they need, that's such a difference maker. We don't need you to be a playmaker. Yeah. That's something Enfield can do. Is like, okay, we're turning the ball over. We're going to put him in and, and try to just get, settle things down a little bit. And if he could have been that guy all season, I think it changes things a little bit. But he struggled, like I said, with the length of Pac-12 defenders and you know just picking up his dribble at wrong times. Daniel Tomey is similar, you know, just not making great decisions, even though you know he's a senior as well, grad transfers. Those guys should make better decisions than they have at times. But a lot of the issues are young ball handlers. So Ethan Anderson, Kyle Sturt event when he, you know before he left on his bereavement, who's been gone for I think seven games now wow. back in Georgia, just buried his father. Our thoughts are with him. Uh, but also Elijah Weaver, he's the X factor on the team in my opinion. When he plays well, USC's on a different level. They're a team that's could be a sweet sixteen elite eight team when he plays really well. But there are times when he plays really bad. He yesterday had five turnovers. You can't play him in the second half. Yeah. So I, it's interesting, you know, if they can settle him in and he can be just a, you know, you can calm him and be just a, a positive influence, not have to try to do too much. And it kind of changes things a lot. But yeah, I think one win UCLA this this week will do it. If they yeah, don't, the home sweep against Arizona schools were huge. Like that's yeah, yeah. massive. Uh, you know, barring some kind of collapse and not winning another game, it seems like they're going to be in and. It'll be interesting if they can beat UCLA. There is still a path for them to get a top four seed, which is huge because you get a buy in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. Just that extra day off that you don't have to play. That you don't have to play. You know, everyone in the Pac-12 has been dangerous at times this season. Yeah, Washington State has been able to beat a couple of teams, and they're terrible. But Didn't they have Stanford to... just get a win too. Or something? Stanford's been pretty good though. Yeah. Stanford just beat Colorado, which is good for USC because USC's trying to catch Colorado. They need Colorado to lose to Utah next week, and if that happens and they beat UCLA, they will move into the top four. If I have done the configure. The, the math right there. Um, and then they get a bye. They can avoid the first game and hope hopefully someone gets upset and they get a you know a lesser opponent in the, their first game and they have a chance to win three games and be be there in the final. I yeah, mean, that's the only thing that when you're on the bubble, like sometimes a bye might not be good because you get a better opponent right away. But I, I think why I said that a win this week will get them in, but not necessarily just one win will get them in is because if they don't, they'll be the five seed. Uh, they'll be five or the six, and they'll get Washington or Washington State, and that win's not going to add anything to the resume. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Whereas if you lose to one of those two teams, then it's yeah, it's, okay, kills the resume. Right. So uh, I, I think it's big to get the win this weekend against UCLA. Ryan, I just want to congratulate you. You made that all the way through, took it seriously. Didn't well, yeah, no, it it's down. They're, well, they actually have a chance to make the tournament. So I've watched, I've you know watched games, and when I go to games, I only like to sit like courtside with. <laughs> Members of the athletic department, but I'll, you know, we'll watch from the television and stuff too. Oh boy. Uh, continuing rapid fire, XX on YouTube says, with a new recruiting staff, how many years will it take for the Trojans to get back to having a top four class consistently? Uh, like 15 years. 
No, uh, it's a, Ryan. it could be tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's really, you got to win games, like go that, out, be in Alabama. And, you know, it's a much better recruiting staff than it was before. That's yeah. the biggest thing is if you win games, then it could be, you know, it could yeah. be next year. It could be two years. If you don't win games, then it'll be when they win games. Yeah. You beat Alabama. That's going to certainly help. You're going to like make a playoff run or something. You, you know, after the season, you move on to a different coach. Like that, that could move the needle. Just, there's a lot of things that could move the needle. It could happen pretty quickly. If USC can do it, it's just you just have to. USC has to get it out of its own way, and they haven't been able to do that for a while. Trek Ranger on YouTube says, "Will Ben Griffiths flourish under the new special teams coach?" He has to, but we're not going to talk about him. No preseason punter hype. Yeah, <laughs> Our new rule. But Sean Snyder was a All-American punter himself. Uh, the former Kansas State punter, actually, we put up a story. He was, you know, just uh, gushing over the kind of coach that Snyder is. And you know, if you want to talk about his strengths as a special teams coordinator, one of the people at Kansas State I talked to is, you know, working with the kickers, working with the punters, working with the snappers. He's really known for that. So if Ben Griffiths, you know. If there's a chance for him to have a huge year, this is a great coach for him to do it with. I probably should wait until actually talking to Sean Snyder once, but I'm just going to go ahead and go for it because there's so many All-American lists. I'm calling it Ben Griffiths All-American. Nice. Wow. You wouldn't even do that last the, the year. The anti-hype. And what was I correct about it last year? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, Matt Simmons says, uh, could you see Brew McCoy or Kyle Ford taking a starting job coming out of spring? I mean... No. Yes. Okay, I'll say no. Ooh. Yes, because Drake London could potentially not be there. So sure. they could be the outside guy, and Amon Ross St. Brown could still be the inside guy. Like, well, where would Drake London be? Playing basketball. But, he, you know, coming out of the no. spring. No, I'm saying coming out of the spring you, on the depth chart, they'd be the starter. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying they start the first game. It says yeah. a starting job coming out of spring. Okay. Coming out of spring. He, they wouldn't be lifted on the depth chart ahead of Drake London. I think they could. <laughs> okay. Family feud over there. I okay. like it. Well done, guys. Well, so, you know, who knows? Uh, Mitchell has a question that shows that he is not a member of the Peristyle uh, because we put this in the war room. He's asking, any Chris Claiborne news? Guess you have to read the Gotta war room. Gotta go read the war room there. Oh, yeah, former, sorry, Mitchell. I former uh, Butkus Award winner at USC. Mm -hmm. uh, Mitchell also asked, Ryan, what's your, or shotgun, what's your crystal ball for Miller Moss? Shotgun, that's kind of your, your dude. I'm not going to speak on this because I'm going to be writing the story when he commits. So, Oh, nice. So that's your dude. I, it looks like USC wants to bring in two quarterbacks because, again, uh, you know, not getting uh, Bryce Young. So they're, I think they're a decent shot at him. But, they, you know, they like Jake Garcia a lot. Keeley just put up a, story, uh, a, a video with him. Check you want to check that out. To him about it. Yeah. We put up some highlights of Jake Garcia, too. Yeah, lots of In about content. a week, you should know. Yeah, we'll know more about the Mr. Moss. Interesting. Uh, shock, I'm putting some Easter eggs there. Uh, John on Facebook says, Is Brew McCoy 100% over his illness from last year? Will he practice with no restrictions? We don't know. I, don't, I mean... I think so. It, I think he's 100%. I haven't talked to him specifically. Yeah, like, he hasn't told us that. But. To a source to speak on, but uh, all indications, the last time I did chat with him, 
uh, it sounded like he was going to be 100% for. Yeah, but it's like kind of one of those things like, okay, da Daniel Amator Bebe is back. I want to see him on the practice field. Like, yeah, I want to see Brew McCoy put breath. pads on and get out in the practice field. So yeah, we had a question as well about uh, is Solomon Tule Alapupu going to be good for full contact this spring? I don't think he's going to be full contact. No. I don't think they're going to let him be. But, but if he's practicing, that's still a win considering the last two years. But I'm, I'm. He had that one good practice. I remember. Good practice. But as far as you, you, how you were going with Daniel Motorbaby or Brew McCoy, I'm going back to my Solomon Tule Alapupu rule that we're not really talking about him until he practices for a week straight. Yep. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the rule. Because even with Solomon Tule Alapupu, we saw that one practice. Like, oh my God, he like batted this ball away, did this, that, and then that was like the only thing, the only the day. Only practice. Yeah. Ever. So that's we right. want to see all those guys for a week. I wasn't there that practice, too. <laughs> Bobby it was says, glorious. Yeah, it was pretty good. I still remember the pop that he made on someone. Uh, Bobby says, do you see the team having more uniformity? Coach is wearing the same clothes. Is that a big deal for most, or is it a big deal for a minority? Are, is that a question referencing how they dress in games? Because in games, there's a reason why coaches don't wear the same color. I don't know if you guys know this. just kind of a behind the scenes, maybe, if you don't know. But coaches wear different colors so that position groups can uh, identify their coach immediately. You know, I'm I'm looking for the coach in the white shirt every time rather than I'm looking for my coach's face. Yeah, and it makes it that much easier. So that's why they wear. You know, they'll have different colored hats, or that's why you see teams in different uh, attire but, on a sideline. But I think I some teams wear. I think some teams wear it uniformly, and I think that's just been one of the criticisms that fans were. When you're trying to find more criticisms, like that would be one of them. But Reggie Bush, that was one of his criticisms during UC's warmups. Well, then the players all look differently. Those the players don't need to look differently. Um, but that's, yeah, the uniformity as far as the team wearing the same stuff is correct, but it. The question was coaches wearing the same clothes, which yeah. if that's what is referencing, there's a reason why they do that. Yeah, and I haven't heard of anything changing there, but that would be coming from an assistant, you know, from one of the new assistants, like a Todd Orlando's like, this is the way we would do it, or Mike Bone and them wanting that. But, I, you know, Clay Hill's still the head coach, so I don't, I don't see whatever they were doing before changing. Uh, we have a question from Raphael who says, do you think ITS will maybe move to a safety position? Let's see him get healthy first before we make a uh, distinction. Yeah. That's something that Chris Trevino's talked yeah. about where he thinks it would be an interesting switch. But or running back. We already mentioned that. No. I mean, <laughs> if if he's out for a lengthy time and by the time he comes back, there's, you know, there's three guys in front of him that, you know, are suddenly all American, then that's when, yeah, that may be a, a possibility because you want to get on the field or you transfer somewhere else. Uh, Hugh Fisher says, do you know when Clay Hilton's contract expires? So we're told it's not public because it's a private institution. Uh, but 2023 is when most people have reported. So what, four more seasons? Like 20, 20 21, 22, 23. Yeah, four seasons. Uh, Randy says, what do you think of the chances of seeing Brew McCoy get some playing time on the defensive side of the ball? That's probably slim, one. yeah. I... I, I the interesting part of that is the relationship with Todd Orlando and the fact that he was at Texas last yeah. year. If they have a good relationship, then and Todd Orlando has seen him, or you know he was the one that recruited him at Texas, and he loves him. Maybe he talks Clay Helton into hey, let me get let me get six plays a game with him. The fact that he was on the same team for like a spring, and I think he did pretty well there at receiver, but. Were there meetings that they said, oh, we could try them over here? And maybe they, I don't know, I'll have to check with our Texas people if he did a couple practices there or something. But if he did, and it's a great point, then you know, there would be more of an up. But we just haven't seen USC do that. Where Dory is the only player. Yeah. That we've seen in the last 
10 years, maybe? Yeah. Bruce is another five-star guy, and if they think he can be that kind of dynamic playmaker, maybe, but um, I, I think it's tougher. It. Yeah, would it would be it would be great for us. It'd just be fun to see, you yeah. know. The, the most fun. important thing for him, though, is to lock down receiver first. Yeah. Yes. And that may be something that further along his career, you start saying, hey, you've done enough. You've proven yourself. If this is something you're interested in, we'll give you an opportunity to do that as well, rather than trying to do it as a freshman and try to do both and not learning either one of them really well. Yeah. Uh, Randy has another good question. He says, if the defense and special teams could both improve into the top 40 in the country and the offense comes in the top 15, how do you think that would relate to wins and losses this season? More. Yeah, more wins. <laughs> more. Yes, but I, I think, Shotgun, this is something you and I talk about a lot. It's just the hidden yards that USC had uh, in special teams and how poor uh, they were. How do you think that will just affect USC if they're kind of in the the just the neutral as far as yeah. not making poor plays? Well, they were 130th in kickoff return yards or something like kickoff returns. It was like that's that's bad. Like those are all all those hidden that yards. That would be are impressive poor. because there's only 129 teams yeah, ranked that, in that's, Division One. But that, I think Akron <laughs> got in there twice because they had like. <laughs> but no, yes, yeah, they've been bad. No, I think they were actually like 127. Okay. They were like one of the. Oh, so they're better than than I thought. Okay, good. Well, they couldn't be one thirty. It's not possible. But yeah, they're like the third worst team in the country. Ulao Ulao on YouTube, keeping with the special teams theme, says, "With all the numbers that Snyder has to work with in the special teams, do you think or do you believe that he will get the job done? How much improvement can we expect to see?" I expect to see a lot of improvement. I mean, like like Keeley said, they're just hidden yardage. They're just just to be neutral. Uh, I think he'll work really well with the specialists themselves, and then uh, you know, curious to see scheme wise what changes in the return game, punt block, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but I, it, it would be hard to be worse. I think it's going to be uh, significantly better, and just that alone could be like an extra win or something on the season. I would think. Don't underestimate the value of a Gary Bryant, having a true returner back there too. Yeah. They haven't had point. that in, since Adore left basically. So having him back there and he can be a dynamic guy that makes guys miss and still has speed too, could be a game changer there because they haven't really had that, you know, basically on every return, in my opinion, you have to break one tackle at least. Right. You know, there's very few times where you just clear sailing like the Michael Pittman touchdown, you run a trick punt return kind of, and you get that, that's the rarity. Not that, you know, you just completely run by and our blocking is so good that no one ever gets a chance to hit them. But I think on just the, the average return, you want the blocking to be better. So it's not necessarily going for a, a touchdown, but just, oh, you get it past the 25 if you keep returning the ball. And it just, so you get to the 30 instead of the 18 a whole bunch of times. Like that, that makes a big difference. So to come, to add to, Every touchdown return has usually has a broken tackle. Usually it's one, not three or four right. in the first five yards. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. When USC gets a good special teams play, it was usually an individual effort, not a, wow, that was really well. I mean, it could be some trick play that happens randomly, but not. A collective. It was just, yeah. it was very rare when the entire unit did well together. Yep. There were times when they would block really well and they you know, would miss a hole or something, but it was just rare that everyone was getting their block type of thing. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from Racer X who says, do you think we'll see more discipline with the players due to the new coaching staff? Sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like Todd Orlando, you know. On Gavin's 
uh, Insta story, ta- uh, Craig Niver had a full on drum and was banging it during the weight like routine, and I was like, "This is intense." So there's some intensity, yeah, happening. There. Seems like it. You know, we'll wait and see when we talk to the the, the coaches uh, on Tuesday, but that's the the kind of general feeling. It's going to be a little bit different feel. Uh, we have another question as far as that goes. Uh, Eric Neal, I don't, I'm not sure if we can answer this before we actually see spring practices, but he says, have there been any noticeable changes in preseason preparation from the old coaches to the new ones? Any tangible signs of better leadership, or are we still just hoping this new crew is different? I mean, there's signs from you know, seeing their resumes and what they've done before, but the, as far as implementing, getting a quick Insta story every once in a while, I don't think that's going to give you the best idea. Like we have to, like Keely said, you got to start watching spring and see what they're doing. Yeah. But the one thing about the Insta story is seeing those, some of those defensive coaches in the weight room with them. Yeah. True. When did you see Clancy Pendergast in any Instagram story? Good. You know, that was not his, not his, uh, uh, MO. Maybe it was, was not... in his contract. Like I can't be in Gavin Morris's Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Uh, they've, they've been out in the road recruiting too. So we've yeah. seen them, in recruiting spots where maybe some of the other coaches weren't doing it in January or February where they were, you know, or like, you know, late February after signing day stuff where before, you know, if they're doing an in-home visit, you might see like a Clancy Pendergast, but you weren't seeing them where like yeah. we've seen Todd Orlando over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear Clancy Pendergast's name brought up by recruits. Yeah. Yeah. You have heard that already with Orlando. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tamat Sud on YouTube says, what are the chances that Mike Bone made the patient and grown-up decision that us fans could never make versus he made a mistake or it was out of his hands? I think the, those are all, I mean, you, there was a, there, you had a pros and cons list and uh, I'm not sure, I mean, maybe it's the grown-up decision. Maybe it's just really though, there was a lot of thought that went into it. He didn't have a lot of time to be at USC. He was only there for three weeks. He didn't, when we had him on the podcast, he didn't really want to talk about all that much, but just from our understanding, it was more about there's, there's pros and cons to doing it and all the fans wanted you to do it. So one of the cons was if you keep them, the fans are going to hate you. And that's basically what happened. But USC's house was so such an, I I get the reasons why I'm not sure it was still the right decision, but with USC's house being such, uh, you know, so disorderly. Would you have been able to be in a good position to bring in a new coach? And I think the thought process is if it's not a, a great year, then you'd be in a much better spot uh, you know, in 2020 than you were in 2019. I'm not saying that's the right call, but I think that's kind of the thought process of, of went through. If he really wanted to fire Clay Hill, and I think he could have, but you were there's going to be some disadvantages of doing it when you were. One of the things being there's still four years left on his contract, and that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Lau Lau on YouTube says, do you really expect to see Gary Bryant Jr. on the field this year? All 148 pounds of him in pads soaking wet. Did you see Dominic Davis as a freshman on the field? Because that coaching staff brought him in. They saw him as a playmaker and they put him on the field. Yeah. I think that's what you see with Gary Bryant. Speed. Speed is something that you He brings something needs. different than the other player. So mm-hmm. that's there's a, there's a bunch of good reasons you might see him. A bank on YouTube says, which coach will be responsible for, for reducing penalties? Larry Scott, does that count? Coach Scott, that would of that course was, that would of course is, be uh, reducing penalties across the Pac-12 because they just throw a ridiculous amount of flags right. compared to every other conference. That would be one, but again, it's on Clay Helton. You know, that's he said that was going to be his focus last year: penalties and turnovers. They did was USC bit, good at those or no? They did a little bit better with turnovers, but 
They I were, like it if you combine them, they were still, I think they were 130th in the country. <laughs> no, I think they really were like 127th or 128th in the country. Like if you combined turnovers and penalties or whatever. We have multiple questions from uh, on the same topic. People want to know, do you think uh, USC will ever see any more re- celebrities return to practice like a Will Ferrell or a Snoop Dogg? Yeah, I think, I mean, they're they're much more open now. So they're bringing people back to practice. We don't know what the fall is going to be like, but. Yeah, I think there's going to be some opportunities for things like that. I mean, that's not really like a a Clay Helton thing. It might be, you know, I'm not saying it's going to, you know, happen tomorrow, but I think that's going to all be on the table again. Sure. I mean, Will Ferrell has come to multiple games in the past, so it's not like it's something new. He ran out of the tunnel leading the team before. He was at he died. He was at a random uh, Cal game, you know, yeah. at Cal. He Two showed years up. Ago. Yeah. So, but he's a guy that's been around the program. It's not anything new now. He's not Matthew McConaughey coming to every big game or anything like that, but yeah, he's been around the program, so I don't see why that would be out of the it uh, out of the unexpected. Augustine on Facebook says, "Any word on how season ticket sales are going?" And I believe someone else on YouTube earlier asked about. Uh, I guess there's a deadline on Friday to renew season tickets. Yeah, we haven't heard. Um, they haven't. You know, that's not stuff like they release. Uh, it'll. I, I think it's going to depend. You, you kind of have to watch and see what it looks like out there. There's. Even when people are canceling, there's opportunists that say, hey, I'm going to get my tickets now because I still want to go. I can get a little better seats, things like that. So there's people that are canceling, but there's people that are kind of taking those spots too. Not all of them, but um, I, I think if it's going to depend on how USC plays against Alabama, really. And you're going to see maybe not for season tickets, but for attendance going in there. Um, are a lot of people going to show up to a New Mexico game if USC gets blown out by Alabama? It's probably going to be pretty dead in that building. So... USC has to do their part to bring those fans in. Mm-hmm. Do I have to cover the game if if they get blown out against Alabama? Yeah, we all have to. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, boo-hoo, shocking. You know, I mean, uh, football. So sad. I just didn't know if there was, you know, there was a free Saturday. You can go to the beach or something. Anyway. Because that might be what other people are doing. It's That's like, true. Yeah, yeah, USC's playing. They'll beat New Mexico. But do I really want to watch it? Because... Maybe it's not going to be that fun to watch. Yeah, It'll probably be on Pac-12 Network, and like, do I want to go? It'll like, be like an 11 a.m. gross game. I'm kind of leaning towards shotgun on this. Yeah. It would be <laughs> like a Western Michigan, where you're like, why is this team still hanging around with them and the, going into the fourth quarter type of thing? That would be a statement if we if USAFootball.com just didn't cover the game. We're like, oh, we're going to skip this one. <laughs> I would hate that. I would. No, I would hate off. it too. But it would be would fun. Get, like it would be it. that would like. People would like take notice if you're like, ah, oh, there's still like really this, care. like we didn't, yeah, it's true. Like, but we didn't cover like the opening finals or, uh, well, no, the the Army All American, well, not the Army, the All American Bowl. We, we've been at these all the time, you know, big recruiting events like this, big like recruiting gatherings of the all star players because USC always has a whole bunch of dudes. And with this class, they didn't have a bunch of dudes. So we didn't send anybody to cover those events. It was like the first time in a while. So we wouldn't do that to a home game, but. The, you know, going to Dallas, like, do we really need to send four people out there for that game? I don't know. Like, yes. I, I don't think you, yeah, I'll just go myself. And, uh, mm, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I got to wrap this up. We're, we're yeah, past we an hour and a half, so I'm trying to get through all these questions because we have a lot of good questions. Uh, Hugh on Facebook says, uh, how many quality wins do you think USC will have uh, between Bama, Notre Dame, and Oregon? Do you think USC wins any? Like, if you had to put the over under Bama... Notre, so Bama, like neutral site, Oregon on the road, Notre Dame at home. I would probably set the over under at point five. Like I would take the over. I think they'll get one at least. I, I think, but I think you if you set, it'd be tough to set it at one. But 
Yeah, I think 0.5 is probably where you'd want to set it. And I, I would take the over, too. I think they'll get one a win in those. But they'll Notre probably... Dame at the Coliseum is always much easier than Notre Dame on the road. Yeah. So we kinda, it kind of flips in that. But sense. Oregon, I mean, Oregon at Coliseum was not pretty. Now, it's going to be a different Oregon team, but it's still a really talented Oregon team, and it's going to be in Eugene. So that's going to be tough. Randy says, how much of the lack of physicality at practice could be attributed to Clancy Fendergast and his time in the NFL? It's hard to say uh, because you don't know who's designing the actual practice plan there, whether mm -hmm. it's Pendergast, it's Helton, it's a collaborative effort. Um, I don't think there was like they were not tackling because he's an NFL guy and they already know how to tackle in the NFL type of yeah, thing because they, they still do those things in the NFL. They, just, they have shorter periods. They're they don't work with the players as you know, you don't get to work with the players as much in college, which is the biggest difference from college to pro. Because you can bring a guy in and say, "Hey, you can schedule eight meetings in a row. Let's come in and watch individual film." Hey, the players only have a certain amount of hours that they're allowed to be with the coaches in college, so it's a lot different in that direction. I will say, Taylor Mays always said that it seemed like USC kind of had an NFL mindset when it came to practice, where like they they're treating him like vets who know what's happening already, and, and college kids should not. Be treated like that because they're too young to to know at this point. So, fair point from Taylor. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's more to do with like yelling at them and being hard on them too. Yes and no. Yeah. Um, we have a question from Racer X, and I think it is directed towards you, Ryan. Okay. Uh, he says, in retrospect, do you think SC should have hired Herm Edwards? No. <laughs> you were a hater, though. You've changed your mind. No, I was a hater on the Herm Edwards thing. I think he's doing a, a pretty good job there, you know. Like they're, but they're seven and five, you know, and they're recruiting better. They're they're taking advantage of some of the, you know, USC's left some some you know food on the table, and Herm Edwards will be able to like you know gobble it up the way they've hired. You know, I think USC being USC with great coaches and you know great recruiters, they'll be able to hold off Arizona State. But no, USC should not have hired Herm Edwards. Shotgun, any thoughts on the Herm Herm hype? Uh, I didn't think it was a good uh, decision when they made it. I think he's done much better than expected. But like I said earlier, got to start getting more wins now. Yeah. They've done well to to make an impact initially. Now can you take that next step? And that's going to be the big question. Yeah. Now. Jeff on Facebook says, of the kids recently offered, who do you think commits from SEC territory or Big Ten country? Oh, geez. There's been so many offers that it's really difficult to say. Yeah, there's, oh, there's, no just, yeah. Um, and the answer is going to be none of them for unless, a long time, <laughs> unless USC starts winning. Yeah, you don't I, get you don't get kids to jump across the country when you're mediocre or you're struggling. Yeah, don't expect a bunch of those guys to commit in May. This is going to be more late in the process kind of thing. This is getting your foot in now um, for a lot of those out of state guys. But USC has to do it on the field, otherwise they'll just kind of fade away as far as those players go. Mm -hmm. Those offers will mean nothing at that point. Yep. Loser said, how did the SC kids fare at the Combine? Good. Yeah. I mean, Pittman ran a, what, four or five? I mean, two. Yeah, four, four or five, five four. Yeah, four or five, two, which is good for a guy his size. Austin Jackson showed athleticism. I think he long jumped like he 10 was third in the broad jump, and I think he was top 10 among alignment in, uh, in the 40 time as well. So. Yeah. Pretty good vertical leap. So I think... I don't think either one of them were going to be like combine warriors, but they did probably a little better than what you expect. And it's going to be more about their film and production. So you just didn't, they, I think they didn't need bad combine grades and they didn't, they, they probably got a little bit better than what you thought. So I think they both helped themselves. Dean on YouTube says, who do you guys think will be the starting wide receivers? I'm on Ross A. Brown, Tyler Vons, uh, Drake and London. 
Yeah. And I think it depends on where London is slotted at, uh, whether he's an outside guy, an inside guy. I think otherwise, I'm going to go with Brew McCoy. There's a reason why he was the oh. top rated. Some spice. I got to see him practice the shotguns rule. I want to see him practice <laughs> yeah. for a week before I put him in the starting lineup. Good point. I mean, it could be all four of them. Yeah. Sure. As well. Sure. That's why I said it depends on where London lines up. Uh, Tita says, how about Jacob Lichtenstein and Trevor Trout? Have you heard anything about those guys? Uh, Lichtenstein, you know, he missed the entire year with the calf injury. Um, I'll check in on that one and see if we can find something for the war room next week. Uh, Trevor Trout's a guy that's been healthy. He's just got to take another step forward and, and become uh, a guy there. And it's it's hard to, to make an impact and, you know, make some big impressions when you're behind Brandon Peely and Marlon Tupelotu and Jay Tefele. But you would like to see this should be the year that he kind of takes a step forward and maybe earns a little bit more playing time than he's gotten so far. Yeah, if he gets some playing time this year, then by next year he could be penciled in as a starter. So I think that's what you want to see. And he's got to hold off a guy like Dejon Benton, who was getting, who had already moved yeah. ahead of him last year. So it's time for him to to step up, uh, or he's a guy that'll you know fade away and never be heard of in this program. Yep. Uh, we have multiple questions about USC's defense. One asks us, will USC's defense be a top 20 defense? And another said top 25. I mean, they're talented enough to be there. Uh, I think, what, you know, we got to see what the schemes kind of look like. But I feel like they've upgraded the defensive staff. And uh, they have a real opportunity to play closer to that level of talent, which is a top 20, 25 defense. So, yeah, I think they can get there. And to Orlando's credit, everywhere he's been the first year, you see that boost. Whether it's a big enough boost is TBD. Yeah. Um, and then, Shotgun, you look like you're about to add something. Nope. Okay. Um, and then, Lao Lao says, are they going to finally teach the linebackers how to cover? Or are they are they going to keep getting being burnt toast on the field? Sorry, Lao. I think they're specifically not going to teach the linebackers how to cover. <laughs> that Todd Orlando's thing is linebacker. So, yeah, I think they're going to be uh, coached up pretty well. That's, he's always coached the linebackers everywhere he's been. I think you're going to see the, the linebackers utilized much better uh, in this defense. One last question. It's from Coley White. He says, hypothetically, do you think USC could survive as an independent um, or will it be a problem? Uh, do you want – I oh, completely. I think they could. Uh, you know, do something like what Notre Dame does where you're independent in football. Uh, they are a draw. They're, they get the benefit of the doubt all the time. I mean, just look at 2016. This was a team that got blown out by – Alabama was one and three and then beats a, you know, they beat Washington on the road and the rest of the schedule was kind of meh and they, they get into the Rose bowl and they went and they beat Penn state. Like USC would get the benefit of the doubt when they're good. So it's more about USC fixing their athletic department, which they're trying to do getting in the right coach. Uh, and a lot of the national media people that were talking about this, like with USC's potential to go independent, Clay Travis, Petrus Papadakis, they were all saying this stuff. You get the right coach in there, and USC is going to be very good. It's like you have to try to screw it up. They would have a great opportunity, and I think you could do something like partner with NBC and Notre Dame and USC games uh, on the weekend. So when Notre Dame's on the road, you have a USC home game, and it makes the USC-Notre Dame game even better. Um, you know, Something like that could potentially work, just looking at exploring it. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, uh, but I think they have the brand if you – if you get, you know, you get the right people in there and you fix things in the athletic department, stop having former football players as your athletic directors. I think you can, there's a path that you could do something like that. So it'd be interesting to see, but I, I think they could potentially pull it off. 
I lied. One more question. We had multiple questions, <laughs> Ryan, wondering if you want to revise your original prediction about Chip Kelly over at UCLA. Uh, what was my original prediction? Yeah, I thought he'd be good, yeah. and he's not been. So um, he's been pretty terrible, actually. And the biggest factor for me is the recruiting. And this is what we thought he would be good because you take this innovative scheme and you pair it up with high-level recruits. And you, what kind of results would you get? We looked with Graham Harrell, like, hey, what would the uh, Air Raid do with, like, awesome players? Like, oh, they'd score a whole bunch of points. It'd be great. Yep. Chip Kelly's sort of doing it his way where he's not going and get the best players in Southern California. He's he's recruiting, like, the OKGs, our kind of guys or whatever. And that's not really what you want to do at UCLA. Like, if you try to do that at USC, like, this p past class is not USC's DNA. Like, USC doesn't take a whole bunch of three stars and turn them into like great players three years later. They take the best players and they play great. And like, that's what you do. And maybe you develop them, maybe you don't. So what Chip Kelly was doing there is very interesting on the recruiting side. It just doesn't make sense. And scheme wise, it doesn't make sense. It's like, he's getting away from what the, the cool stuff that he did. He's not, it's like, he's trying to do the opposite. Like, it's almost like you're trying to, you're a typecast actor and you want to play a different role. And I feel like that's what Chip Kelly's doing. And I think it's been a mistake. I, I don't know if he's going to get another great opportunity like this at UCLA. He's had you know multiple NFL opportunities. But to me, it seems like he felt he was typecast. And he was trying to go and, and prove that he wasn't that, that cute child actor with the, the dimples or whatever. And now he's like, I'm the mature guy. You know, I'm Justin Bieber with like a whole bunch of tattoos and some, you know, scratchly facial hair. Try to show I'm not like this teen heartthrob anymore, but that's why you were good. Like as you, you were good because of that and you're trying to get away from it. So yeah, I, I thought he'd be better. A lot of people thought he'd be better. He has not been, it's been a disaster there. I never thought that would lead into a Justin Bieber analogy. Okay, I'm just it. I'm just curious. Does it work though? Like, isn't that isn't that what he did? Like, didn't Bieber like try to show everyone? Bieber, okay, it was like I'm not gonna get into Bieber's history. I'm just but. curious who's your favorite uh, teen heartthrob turned uh, heavy tattoo guy now? Yeah, but you can think about that while I talk about Chip Kelly because okay. I did not think it was a good hire. I thought that he had stopped innovating in the NFL. And it's kind of what we're seeing. Yeah. And so the question was, was he going to continue? Was he going to go back to his college stuff? And he's, he has it. He's done more NFL stuff. And, and was he going to evolve and, and change? That was the thing. He was very innovative at Oregon. And now people ask him, like, why don't you use some of the stuff you use there? Well, the game changes. The game changes. I would love to run the, the what was it, the wing tee? Yeah, no, he, yeah, it's like the exact offense. He wants to run, like, the ancient offense instead of, like, the newfangled offense. It's yeah, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to innovate anymore. It seems like to me he wants to in the NFL stuff it doesn't seem like he's been adding a bunch of stuff. Now in games occasionally he's done really well. USC last year, he had some good schemes in there and did some nice things that enabled them to be able to run the ball so well. But then you look at other games and it's just like why why, why are you not doing some, trying something else? It just seems like you kind of rest on his laurels at times. Yeah. And the recruiting is Obviously, has not gone well for them. But also, you have to note how many players have left the program. Yeah, it's been a revolving door there. It's crazy. You can uh, you cannot recruit that first as well year. Initially. Like you can you can like clear some stuff out, but it's like every year you're clearing people out. And and you cannot recruit as well initially. And you know they're really really slow in the process. They want to get to know everybody. And hey, you come in from the NFL, so you don't know everyone initially. So you you can slow play it. That's fine. 
But when you clear out so many players and then you don't recruit well, now your roster is just not up to par with everyone else, and that's what's happened to UCLA, I think. He does have a 500 record against USC, so, I mean, at, at UCLA. He has a way better record if you include Oregon, but yeah. I mean, a lot of people have a 500 record, at least a 500 record against USC recently. Yeah. I can always tell when a snarky comment is coming from Ryan. He makes a certain face. I was bracing myself. It wasn't too bad, though. Okay. Alrighty. I think it is time to wrap it up. We're almost at the two-hour mark. Uh, some housekeeping things before we sign off. Mr. Abraham, when yeah. is our next show? Should we and discuss what... these things beforehand, Ms. Yeah. Producer Lady? Uh, Mr. Boss, man. <laughs> yes, we should. Uh, what do you want the schedule to be going forward? Should I kind of I kind of feel like Sundays are better um, because we're going to have Saturday practice, and it might be a good way to wrap up each week. Mm-hmm. Um, than Wednesdays during the week. So, because we can't do Thursdays because we're going to have Thursday practice. So, mm-hmm. are you cool Sundays or is it? Welcome to the USCFootball.com meeting most that of the time. you're watching right now. Yeah. Already. Well, let's probably, I think we're going to might go to Sundays. Okay. For a spring. Continues. Okay. Yeah. Sounds Gucci. Uh, okay. That's going to wrap it up. Any final thoughts before we do, gentlemen? I would like to apologize to Ryan Abraham because there are 130 teams ranked and USC was 130th yeah, I was wondering in kickoff about that, returns. But I didn't want to contradict you. <laughs> but a lot of the things are not up to 130. So I feel like there was an, a team added last year. So I said Akron twice. No, I don't know. Like that's. I feel like I there was, was a team that moved up because it was 129 before. It was. was it was terrible. Like it was. It was worse though. The point is, it was awful, and that's why you you can get a lot better with a, a good special team. And I bet why you're saying Akron is because Akron actually led the nation in kickoff return defense. So that's probably why you're mentioning them because it's side <laughs> by side on the chart. I don't there. know what Akron is in my brain because when USC went on the road and lost to BYU, BYU went on the road and lost to Akron the next week. So I, I think Toledo. Was it no? Toledo. I think was Toledo. it Toledo? Yeah. Oh, so that wasn't why. It's Maybe it's because Akron brought back their baseball program. Good on you, Akron. They have a baseball program again. So does Boise it State. Definitely was not that. Boise <laughs> State had got a sweep this weekend. First time they've had a baseball team in forty years. Their first home games. And they won all four of them. Congratulations. A real quick thing in yeah. order to end stuff. So Carol Fold announces that free tuition for uh, incoming USC freshmen that, that their families make under eighty thousand a year. Stanford, I think it's a big advantage because I think it's under 100000 a year. Their endowment will pay for the 100, Wow, so it's a big one. But for baseball, it's a program that has a, a, a sport that has like 11.7 scholarships or whatever it is. Is that right? Yep. Bam, got it. Uh, that should help with their – because, you know, the partial scholarships, if you're going to get a full scholarship because your your family doesn't make a lot of money, it, it helps the baseball team. Yes, definitely could help. That's one of the, the advantages to schools. Uh, Georgia, example, they have the Hope Scholarship, which is a lottery-based scholarship. Uh, if you go to a public school, you get free tuition as long as you hold a certain GPA. If you can get into USC, now that'll be the hard thing for some people, but yeah, if you can get hard. in – then you know you could potentially be on academic scholarship, and then therefore you are free to the baseball program, um, and then you know that's a that can be a big boost. But eighty thousand dollars in Southern California, that's going to be tough for a lot of kids to to fall under, I would think, just because of, you know the inflated price cost of living out here. But it could definitely add a player or two to the roster. So eventually, because I don't think that's going into effect for two years, I, I want to say. I'd have to reread the know. article, but I, I think it's going to be uh, um, a little bit, but could eventually be a boost to the to the baseball program as well. I know we get asked this a lot, and we've answered it a lot, but Judy has asked two weeks in a row. Can Ryan? Can you display which uh, signatures are on the helmet? Oh yeah, there's a bunch of them. There are some of them are hard to read. Um, I just felt bad. She wanted to know two weeks. This in a row one. So there's Juju. Juju. 
C.R. Roberts was like the uh, linebacker in the 1950s that played against Texas that I think was helped it like you with Sam Bam Cunningham. Sam's on here too. Um, he's right here. But he helped integrate and Texas. He was one of the, I think, the first African American player there. Chris Hale is on there. Um, Clay Helton. Clay Helton's on there too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a bunch of them on there. There you go. Oh, uh, Anthony Munoz. Yes, shocking. Hall of Alrighty. Fame. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up. We're almost at the two hour mark. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, and if you're watching this or listening to it on podcast, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. That's going to wrap it up. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next Sunday. Bye-bye. And Anthony Munoz, former baseball player, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And he had the old school bats that were, you know, titanium metal that <laughs> shot rockets off of them. Can you imagine <laughs> if you're a pitcher and you see a guy coming up looking no. like Anthony Munoz? No, thank you. Boom. No, just put four. Four. He can go to first base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Alrighty. I said bye, Shotgun. You know the rules. No more talking. Alrighty. Goodbye.